0: Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is the rundown.
1: Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media, restoringthefaith.com.
0: Iran is said to be the first country to roll out a biometric digital ID needed in order to buy food needed in order to eat right needed in order to survive you must go get your digital ID from the government i want
2: to be rich
3: Iraq too. Anyway, uh, <laughs> seventy-five. Uh, <laughs> here's the, the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. A wholly unjustified. And brutal invasion of Iraq. Invasion of Iraq. Invasion of Iraq. Invasion of Iraq. I
2: don't want to audition. I don't want to take class. I want to be discovered while I'm sitting on my. House. I should not have to struggle. I should not have to sweat. I tried that for ten minutes once, and look what.
4: You think the board was mischaracterized? Then the disinformation board is being shut down because of disinformation. Is that what's happening here? Look,
1: I mean, the the board was put forth for a purpose, right? To make sure that we really did a, a, a really did address what was happening across the country when it came to disinformation. And it's on, okay but no, it's days it's just going it's. It's going to pause. There's been a mischaracterations from outside, uh, outside forces, and so now what we're going to do is going to we're going to pause it and we're going to do an assessment. But the work does the work doesn't stop. We're still going to continue the work. The DHS is still going to continue the work.
5: Okay. I'm still not rich,
1: famous, or powerful. Barbara Streisand has it all, and I can do
2: what she can do. Here, singing Christmas songs for all of you. What does it take to be famous and powerful? Santa, if you're listening, please tell me what to do. What do I to be famous and powerful? you have done everything I can, and now the rest is up to you.
4: great uh, congratulations. Thank nice you. to see you out there.
6: Thank you.
4: Uh, the president's Twitter account posted the other day you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. Mm -hmm. How does raising taxes on corporations reduce inflation?
1: Um, So, are you talking about a specific tweet?
4: He tweeted, you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share.
1: Look, you know, we have, talked about, um, we have talked about this this past year uh, about um, making sure that the wealthiest among us are paying their fair share. Um, and that is important to do. And uh, that is something that, uh, you know, the President has been, you know, working on uh, every day when we talk about inflation and lowering costs. And so it's very important uh, that, uh, you know, as we're seeing costs rise, uh, as we're talking about how to, you know, uh, you know, build a, a, a America that's safe, that's equal for everyone and doesn't leave everyone behind, that is an important part uh, of that as well.
4: But how does raising taxes on corporations lower the cost of gas, the cost of a used car, the cost of food for everyday Americans?
1: So look, I think we encourage those who have done very well, right? Especially those who care about climate change uh, to support a fair ta- tax code that doesn't change, that doesn't charge manufacturers, workers, cops, builders a higher percentage of their earnings that the most fortunate people in our nation and not let this this that stand in the way of reducing energy costs and fighting this ex- existential problem if you think about that as an example and to support basic collective bargaining rights as well right that's also important but look it is you know by not if without having a fairer tax code which is what i'm talking about then all the every like manufacturing workers cops you know it's not fair for them to have to pay higher taxes than the folks that who are who are who are not paying taxes at well, all well, or barely high with
4: inflation the president said you want to bring down inflation let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share Jeff Bezos yeah. came out and tweeted about that he said the newly created disinformation board yeah. should review this tweet would you be okay with that
1: Look, it's not a huge mystery why one of the wealthiest individuals on earth, right, opposes an economic agenda uh, that is for the middle class that cuts some of the biggest cost families face, fights inflation for the long haul, right? And that's what we're talking about. That's why we're, ta- we're talking about uh, lowering inflation here and adds to the historic deficit reduction the president is achieving by asking the richest taxpayers and corporations to pay their fair share. That is what we're talking about.
2: Okay. I tried being good. I tried being nice I even tried pretending I was listening once or twice But a really big start They made it without it Was Benny Davis pleasant? Well, I seriously doubt it, but
7: prepare for the next one that you know i'd
0: say is uh will get attention this time
2: now i know i should be thankful for the blessings that i got my husband <laughs> and I know
0: time about bloody time this is the rundown this is your weekly addiction fab four are assembled we have so many things to talk about tonight top story tonight nancy winebox pelosi she has uh she's been censured by the archbishop of san francisco let's turn that light on there hey can you see me better She can't go to communion anymore, Ryan. She cannot present herself to communion. Thank you. Thanks be to God, Archbishop Cordelioni. He finally did what we've all been asking someone in these United States to do for the last 30 years.
8: Not only him, but uh, Nancy Pelosi, um, even though she's from San Francisco properly, she represents it. Her actual residence is technically in another diocese. And that bishop there, I don't have his name at hand, he also agreed... confirmed uh quarterly decision and went along and did the same. So he's informed his priest. No, you can't. And it's one of those things where you, you're going to see the left scream, You're going to write the, the right, you know, people on our side of the thing or say, well, he's not really going far enough. And I can see the criticisms of his statement in different mm-hmm. ways, but I'm going to take the W uh, because this is what people, theologians and canonists and just faithful Catholics have been asking for what, 30, 40 years now. Apply Canon 915, which is for grave and public sinners. And this is the thing, you're going to have the laughter. I'm, I'm getting ready for a tweet from James Martin to tell you about how unChristlike like and uncharitable this is and all that. But Canon 915, for grave and public sinners, uh, the, the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist needs to be forbidden. them. Just to, It follows right from Scripture. Paul tells the Corinthians that some of you are sick and have died because of your profanation of the Holy Eucharist and and likewise it is one of the most evil things you can do because it is the most sacred thing in the church is the holy eucharist we should have absolute care of it and not just mm. give it to whomever you know when there's a question of public sins not your private sins because that's the next canard you're going to see trotted out oh I don't start denying communion to everybody Um, mm-hmm. it, It's the public and they used to give this example in the canonical manuals of a priest that has a you know divorcees in his parish of course this is pre uh, amoris, but yet divorcees in your parish and publicly known to be divorced and he would refuse them communion then he'd be on vacation in some other parish administering the sacraments and they would show up there mm-hmm. now he can go and once he sees them, if he has a chance, he can say, hey, look, don't don't come to communion. But he can't refuse them in the same way, because in this foreign place, they're not publicly known to be divorced and remarried. So now, because it's not public, he actually can't refuse the sacrament. And that's the, the example the canonists and moralists give on things like that. So yeah. in the case of a senator, no, I'm sorry, a congresswoman, the speaker of the House, publicly known throughout the world. For her scandalous support of abortion, um, there's no question that this is the right application of Canon 915.
0: Yeah. Um, now, the the question that it raises to me, uh, James, is who's next? Uh, obviously, you know, uh, there is some emboldeness on the part of Archbishop um, Corleone because of this of the leak uh, from the Alito draft. So he's thinking the court's going to overturn Roe anyway. Uh, we have momentum on our side. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi finally crossed whatever uh, mental red line he had by uh, by supporting you know legislation to create um, an abortion right in this country. Um, so I, you know, I think he finally kind of crossed the Rubicon and was like, "Look, you know, I'm I'm going to do this." The question, though, is she's third in line to the presidency, and she's a Catholic. The guy who ostensibly holds the office, or at least the usurper-in-chief, as I like to call him, uh, who somehow managed to get 80 million votes from his basement, which I'm sure every single one of those votes is legitimate, and he's, I'm sure, the duly elected president of these United States. He claims to be a Catholic, too, and he supports abortion. So who's going to excommunicate him? Well, I'll tell you this right now.
9: right i'll tell you this right now it's not going to be the uh current uh cardinal sitting in washington dc wilton um it's not going to be wilton wilton is uh as pro the uh alphabet people agenda as you can get you know uh we saw his shenanigans in atlanta uh we've been following him for uh many years and uh this is basically uh right now would be a a time uh, where Joe Biden could sort of count on the support, unfortunately, of the sitting cardinal um, uh, in Washington, D.C. So as far as uh, people, other Catholics around the country who are public figures uh, in Congress and, uh, and, you know, uh, I I, I doubt there's going to be a uh, domino effect. You know, Mm -hmm. what is instead, what I think was going to happen instead is you're going to see um two factions you're going to see the factions of usccb who will surround um uh, you know uh leone and give him support and then you're going to have those who seem to hold higher offices you know yes. like uh Subitch and uh wilton and maybe who might hear from world coming out of retirement to voice mm-hmm. his uh disdain at uh leone you know because there i mean honestly is an outlier he's been in this situation of um you know rift between the uh usccb he says certain things they don't like the way he says it he when he got moved to san francisco was because of a scandal of his predecessor i guess who was the administrator not i guess not uh predecessor in the term of bishop but the administrator of the diocese where he was was uh basically doing things he shouldn't be doing he was blessing uh, alphabet unions and things of that nature and then mm-hmm. Benedict swiftly pushed him in that in that in, in that diocese, not archdiocese. And so what uh, he's done since he's got there is basically get under Nancy Pelosi's skin and uh, if you remember this in 2015 he uh, essentially uh got into a war of words with uh, local leaders you know who were wanting him to who were pushing back from uh, I guess he he made, uh, some sort of document for Catholic educators, uh, you know, in, in his archdiocese in saying, if you want to be employed, these are the standards you have to uphold. And he got a lot of pushback from people there. And in fact, uh, they they took out his, uh, his, his the, the faithful, the, the faithful in his diocese took out an ad uh, in the Chronicle, I believe, and they tried to basically get him ousted by yeah. uh, Pope Francis. And that didn't work because he got a slew of support. You know, so he got a slew of support from the rest of the world. And I guess he could be writing those coattails going, you know what? Now we have the courts stacked. We have, uh, I know I have support. You know, I, this has to be done. And if he stands tall, this would be a very good thing. And as Ryan says, you know, you know, it's a, it's a W. I
0: think, I think that that latter part is actually key, James. And I want to kick it over to uh, Brother Martin um, on this topic. The fact of the matter is many bishops in the USCCB, many bishops in these United States have have made more or less the same complaint. We are generals without armies. We rarely have the popular support of, of, of faithful Catholics. I think that Archbishop Corleone has read the tea leaves correctly on this one. He knows that there's going to be a national, possibly an international groundswell of support for his action here. Um, and so he, you know, he knows that he's gonna, he's gonna mobilize the right at the same time, brother Martin, I'm concerned with the, with the fact that, you know, as James said, he's always been an outlier. He did stand for a traditional family somewhat in the face of, uh, you know, with defending Catholic schools, he's already on the naughty list. He's probably not due for a red hat. Is this just him, you know, in his bid for uh, early retirement or, or is, does he actually care?
10: Well, it's it's kind of hard to tell in the sense that it's been a long time coming. He's been um, the bishop, of, archbishop of San Francisco for quite a while. We've been asking for this for a while, but nothing's happened. Um, as someone pointed out on Twitter today, that she's Nancy Pelosi has been in, in public office since even before I was born. Uh, so this is a, this is definitely a long time coming, and this shouldn't just just be happening now. At the same time, it 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 seems like he did his homework in the sense that uh, there have been several bishops that have come out already with public statements supporting um, Cordelione almost immediately, and that doesn't typically happen. Usually bishops read the news and come out with something later after they've meditated on it or thought about what they want to say and made sure their words are clean and that they can't have there no repercussions for what they have to say. But almost immediately on the same day, you have all these bishops coming out completely in support. So it almost seems like he he reached out to them and said, hey, I'm going to release this statement on this particular day um, if you're for me, if you're going to stand behind me, have something prepared by then. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it seems like he did. The, he did his homework and was, and was finally ready to do something. And I, now I will say because I, I did happen to actually meet uh, Archbishop Cordelione, uh last summer uh, when I went to the Napa, Napa conference in Napa Valley in California, and he, and he was offering mass there. Uh, I, I did uh, have the opportunity to serve ma- mass with him twice, and I, and I will say with after after after. Having served mass with several bishops before, Archbishop leone happened to be the only bishop I've ever really have been intimidated to approach before and after mass, precisely because he was kneeling at the back of the the nave with his book, a smaller red book that said preces on it, prayers in Latin, and he was intensely preparing himself for Mass and then doing his Thanksgiving after mass, regardless of who wanted to meet him. Um mm-hmm. With, with all the bishops that I've experienced in the last 10 years of, of being a religious, this is really the only one that I said, okay, I'll wait in the sacristy when he comes back here, he comes um, with all the other bishops, you know, it's, it's usually they're shaking hands, all that kind of stuff. And then they go and do their, their, their Thanksgiving or whatever. But Archbishop Cordelione, he was, I mean, he meant business in the sense that he was there to pray. Um, so I will say that about Cordelione. So I, I I really do believe that he, uh, this is a matter of conscience for him, that he wanted to do something about it. And you wanted to go about it the right way and the way that would be most successful.
9: So, brother, let me just inform me when you met Archbishop Cotolini and your hands were like this, did he force your hands apart because you were just being too rigid?
10: No, (laughs) unfortunately, he's not caught the, the bug from Rome yet. So. (laughs)
0: well listen i if if everything brother martin just said about him is true uh then that means he he has the faith and therefore he has to go um so he's not long for this world in in these united states anyway uh, he'll probably get the phone call just like the the bishop in puerto rico did you know you're 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 fired effective immediately uh speaking of bishop towing the line though and tradiciones custodes uh we gave you good news let's give you some bad news Here's the uh, decree implementing the motu proprio Traditiones Custodes. Uh, This is a decree from the, uh, what is is his name? Estevez, the most reverend Bishop Felipe Estevez, Bishop of St. Augustine, Florida, or St. Augustine, Florida, I guess they pronounce it down there. Um, Basically, rigidly implementing traditiones custodis saying okay for 2 years you'll have it at this one parish but then it just dries up and it's one parish only no one else can learn the latin mass uh so sorry um and by the way it's all 62 62 62 nothing about pre you know pre 55 or anything like that um priests who have already been celebrating masses according to the 62 must petition the bishop for permission authorization to continue enjoying this faculty so he's really clamping it down um maybe he knew what corleone was going to be up to today and he wanted to stand out as a as a bright and shining star in francis church uh who knows um but let's let's go around the room with this one Ryan, first of all, with TC, I have been surprised at the slow implementation in the United States of America. We haven't seen a lot of restricted letters like this one that just came out today. Um, Why do you think that is? There is a
8: lot of bishops who are privately asking candidates. I won't name which ones, lest I get uh various left Catholic mobs on Twitter directed in, in their direction but there are various bishops who are talking to candidates privately and saying well what do you think about this and they're saying well the uh, the clarifications or the dubia for the uh, for TC um, anything that's beyond what's in TC they, they they're not even binding and they're further telling bishops that even with the rest of it uh, you can apply canon 87. And just say, well, the, the, this document doesn't apply here because it's contrary to the good of, of my faithful. And some bishops have quietly been doing that and telling their priests, you know, officially there's this, but really keep doing what you're doing. And so in other bishops, too, it's it's the type of thing where the, the, some of them really do care for the spiritual well-being of, of trads. I know that's like a, a crazy thing to think about. There, there are some that do. And there are others there are others that, um you know, for them, it's it's a question of, well, I'm going to have problems if I do this, or I really don't like those SSPX, and I have my diocesan indult or my fraternity of St. Peter, and if I get rid of them, well, I'm going to have the, this SSPX problem. They're all going to go there. So, it, and especially if it's a wealthier parish, you're going to take that money with them. So again, mm-hmm. Canon 87, they've basically been ignoring him, And so I know of several... Uh, diocesan indulti and FSSP parishes that have not been required to, for example, uh, you know, do the readings of the vernacular or other things that are in TC or the dubia. Uh, mm-hmm. So th- there is, there is a, at least in the United States anyway, there is a sense whether it's pastoral on the side of the bishop actually cares or pastoral on the side of this is just going to create problems for me. I don't want to deal with it. They're more or less saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, use Canon 87, and uh, just say, yeah, these don't apply because they're contrary to the, the, the good of our, our diocese, because canon law is not this legalistic thing. You have to do it exactly this way because it says it's moderated by various principles, the first of which the first law is the salvation of souls. That moderates everything in canon law. And mm. so the bishop decides he can set the whole thing aside. And that's what has been happening with various bishops.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, it is very surprising to me, Brother Martin, that, uh, that the, the hatchet really hasn't dropped. I think last summer when TC came out, it was like a bomb. Uh, props to, I think it was Rottecelli who, um, who predicted it pretty accurately that it said it was coming and that it was imminent and knew the contents of it. A lot of people kind of poo-pooed uh, them and said, well, it's not going to be that drastic. And it certainly was. The directive is there. The directive is drastic. The directive is draconian. Um, And yet that level of spite has not really translated in a lot of dioceses around the country. But it's now like a suspended uh, guillotine above all of our necks, which at any point, any bishop could just release. So it's, you know, now everyone feels like what they have to be on their best behavior. I mean, is this a is this some measure of deterrence?
10: It's interesting because I, th- I think uh, well, bishops know what they're doing in the sense that the, they're very well skilled in the political game. Uh, they know to take things slowly. That when things are done quickly, there's a reaction. And so, if you want get, to get something to stop, you don't just automatically demand that everybody who likes it just just go home, because then people you'll get protesters from that. But what what you do do is is you find other ways to not to not let it grow, to not it not let it flourish um while while allowing people to think that it's flourishing so for instance if if you want to uh grant um a nascent community uh a new parish all that kind of stuff you give it a, a parish uh in the in the very urban part of town where it's not some place you want um where it's not some place large families would want their young children to go to and you give them plenty of obstacles to have to discern you know whether whether I need to take my family to, to this environment or not, simply to get to the traditional Latin mass. Or uh, they'll, they'll allow them to fundraise to build their own church uh, while the community is so small so that they build only what they can afford. Because it's, it's, it's licit and, and solid and founded, more people flock to that who, who didn't participate in the fundraise or anything. The church mm-hmm. outgrows itself and you cause other, other problems um, for, the, for that particular parish. And so there's other ways to make them very feel uncomfortable and keep things from growing. Um, obviously, not erecting new religious communities is one of those things. Is, is you don't want to get give uh, a new community another place to grow, other lady another place to go to 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 receive the sacraments to receive see tradition from. And so it's it's not going to be a, an in your face, immediately one and done kind of thing. It it, it never was going to be. It never will be. Um, it'll be gradual. First, maybe with with whatever communities exist in your diocese, they'll stop doing confirmations in the traditional right and say, well, and the bishop will use the excuse. Well, I don't know how to do it in the traditional right. I can't learn. I don't have the time. I'm busy. And so if you want confirmation, it's going to have to be this way. I'll do it in your parish, but it's going have to be have, happen to be this way. And so little, little by little, there will, start, there will start to be cutbacks. There'll be, uh, yeah, you'll feel like the walls are closing in around you.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they're going to they're gonna slowly um, phase it out. Uh, James, it does appear as though, um, although the traditional Latin mass continues to grow everywhere, uh, brothers write that uh, if you're a particularly communist bishop, like let's say you're in Austin, Texas, then you know your diocese of mass is at 3.30 in the afternoon uh, in, in a downtown urban area. If you're in San Antonio, Texas, another communist archdiocese, then your Latin mass is at the ugliest parish called the Tetris Parish, uh, and you're not allowed to have any other sacraments besides... Uh, the celebration of the mass, you, you can't have com- confession before or after because that might disturb the 15 Novus diets that are coming in before or after. Also in San Antonio when it's 10,000 degrees outside and it's you know, two o'clock in the afternoon for your mass. So they do everything they can to discourage the growth. And I think, and I, I, I would like to get your thoughts on this, the more that it is suppressed, the more that it galvanizes people when people have a fight for it, when people are, are struggling to form it and, and, and they have to push back and they have to make sacrifices for the, 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 the proper liturgy to form their family, to form their faith, um, then they cherish it more and more. And that is why um, I, I think, and I don't know if this is a fair statement uh, to make, I have noticed that people who go to adult masses, let's say, or, or Latin masses that, uh, that are diocesan, or even folks who go to the fraternity or the Institute, do sometimes on the whole, I'm painting with a broad brushstroke, but they cherish what they have more so than someone who's let's say second or third generation, SSPX or, uh, or a set of a contest or whatever it is, who just has grown up with it and doesn't really remember being in the basement or the florist or what, you know, uh, going to mass in, in, in a bank building, right? Because, uh, you know, because of circumstances. And so I think that this, the new generation of Prats that is up and coming, that are a lot, of, a lot of whom are COVID refugees, these people are going to be the lifeblood of the traditional movement over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years.
9: Well, you're absolutely right, Mike. You're absolutely right. I mean, who doesn't have nightmares of gather us in and other horrible atrocities? Sing uh, us a new uh, church. The last, exact exactly. You know, when you have nightmares, like to that, you're, you're, you're <laughs> when you have those kind of nightmares, mm-hmm. you're really built for battle because there's no way you're losing the battle against uh, tradition. You're fighting with tradition to push back against the nervous older world. Yes. It's a clown world out there. Absolutely. I think all of us sitting here, we've made our journeys. You know, and uh, so we we have this fight in us that we can we cannot get, give up. And what's happening? The bishops don't realize this, but yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, they they're trying to squeeze to put the squeeze in us, right? That's that's a term, the squeeze in us, and ever so gently. You know, of course, we're going to lose a few people here and there. We're going to lose some stragglers along the way, but throughout time, I guess time will tell because this is this is what is going to happen. You can always bank on it. You're going to have people not willing to budge you're not dragging me back from where i came there's no way i'm going back and Mm -hmm. the more they the more they see we've seen this right we've seen what happened in 2020 when people started to really see what the hirelings were doing they said there's no way i'm going back right so that was the first time people actually made statements like this you know i needed sacraments and you were not there for me and now you want to take this away not going to happen so I think you're absolutely right. You know, people are going to galvanize uh, and will and will push back. Of course, we're going to lose some stragglers along the way. It's a it's a war in that sense, spiritual war. And so, some people might be lost in this. But for the, for the most, uh, I think we're we're going to see people digging their heels in and ready to fight yeah. for what it is they they think they know as their patrimony.
0: Now, let's talk about our patrimony a little bit. Uh, probably the biggest news story, the biggest Catholic news story this week that has gotten the, the least amount of coverage. This is probably the most underrated but most important Catholic news story, and you have to come to the rundown because we're the only ones who are going to talk about it. No one else is talking about this. Let's talk about our patrimony, Brother Martin, and clinging to it and, and having the resolve to uh, resist modernist Rome what we witnessed this past week is ostensibly on its face a secret clandestine illicit um, act right and 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 potentially a schismatic act according to some it was the, the secret ordination of a young man well a middle-aged man i suppose in france against the expressed wishes of his prelate uh, brother Martin give us some of the background of what we're talking about here meanwhile I'll kind of scroll through this announcement so people can see uh the side by side while you're talking
10: so Dom Quin Reed uh Al-Sween Reed um is a Benedictine monk who has erected a, a public association with the faithful in, in a diocese in France to sort of Benedictine community um and He's very well-known because you've seen him on blogs in the New Liturgical Movement. He's published several books, um, one of which has a, has a preface by Benedict XVI, or Cardinal Ratzinger. Uh, so he's a very well-known theologian, very strong background in, 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 in liturgy and theology. Um, but this, this past week, his community on his website, as you see here, uh, published a statement saying that their community, having been without priests for a long time, and of course, this really affects a community that's, that's founded to, to worship God, especially in the liturgy, as the Benedictines are. Um, they just found it extremely hard not, not to have a priest dedicated to them or one of them being a priest to continue their religious life together. And so they petitioned their, their local ordinary, their local bishop, to ordain one of them. Of course, they were, they were legitimately prepared. was a, was a deacon ready for ordination. But because the bishop was afraid of reprisals from either his brother bishops or from Rome, uh he d- he told the Benedictines that he was not gonna ordain any of them priests. And so I guess he just expected them just to sit there and not do anything, just for their for their nascent community just to die. Um but uh Father Reed, Dalmal Queen Reed, um having his connections that I guess there was a curio cardinal that reached out to him and told him, I will ordain you. And so clandestinely, you know, in the darkness of night or whatever, um Domel Queen Reed was was ordained illicitly without without uh, the permission of his ordinary, without um, the proper papers to to the the, the the order of the presbyterate. This is this is this act was illicit; it was illegal. And by the very act, uh, he was suspended ad divinis from exercising his his presbyteral orders in any capacity whatsoever. And so, legally, by the very fact, uh, according to the law. He would be committing a mortal sin if he offered mass, and so you'd think, okay, well, it would, it'd be pointless to be ordained illicitly because then if you offer mass, it's a mortal sin, you know. But yeah. it's it, it's yeah. very interesting, and it's big news precisely because the, the reputation of both Domalquin Reed and obviously a Kuro Cardinal of you know, the names that they're hiding. Yeah, uh, to and, both and he, agree, And he's quick to say
0: that Bishop Ray Monsignor Ray is not a bad guy. He didn't have it out for him. There wasn't a change in tone or anything like that. Bishop Ray was just afraid of what Rome would do. So another unnamed prelate stepped in and did this ordination somewhere outside of parish in an undisclosed location. I mean, this is like Soviet Union-style holy orders. And the bishop in question is in full communion
8: with the Pope. He he has... um where I believe he might have been a cardinal. I can't remember, but Dom Alcuin's not offering any details for fear of reprisals against the bishop who did the ordination. Right. So, which
0: also, he
10: told
8: he right. Right. So,
9: yeah, so exactly. His words were high-ranking prelate. High-ranking,
0: yeah.
8: Right. And so it's certainly not a bishop. And he attests that everything was done in the proper order, that their examinations, their, their orthodoxy, all the stuff that normally precedes an ordination. But it was done, of course... According to the uh, the Pontificali Romanum, which uh, Bishop Roach has tried to legislate out of existence, yeah, and uh, so the the bishop in question for Dom Alcuin, of course, is Roach bitten, as, as I, I've been putting it, no, and funny. so hi, you know cowering away like, well, I don't want to be sacked tomorrow. So now we have this injustice reigning in the church, and, and this is really significant. And I'm actually shocked. Even at, like, go Google. I have anyone Google Dom Alcuin read illicitly consecrated. It's or, not there. Yeah, you know, Dom Elkwin <laughs> Reed suspended by his bishop. R e i d. It's not there. Only person. not there. I got to give him a call. <laughs> at it, is Dr. Anthony Stein and Return to Tradition. Yes, uh, he's the only one apart from us that is actually to discuss this issue. Right. Everyone's trying to ignore it. And That's it's right. A big
0: deal. You, because- d- you don't see. It. I mean, look. I I I'm about to name some publications that I'm good friends with. In fact, I've been published in One Peter Five. I've been published in LifeSite News. You don't see anything in One Peter Five and One, or in Site News. You don't see Crisis Magazine talking about it. You don't see any of the mainstream normies talking about it. You sure as heck don't see church uh, millionaire talking about it. They would never, if, if they're going to say anything, they're going to condemn it. Um, this is besides Father Maudsley in in England uh, a few months ago leaving the FSSP uh, so that he can continue to say the Latin Mass and not have to concelebrate. This is the biggest traditional news, I think, I think this year.
8: He's a major yeah, theologian, and he's sort of in the mainstream. as He's sort of like a Father Z. He's considered part of kind of the Novus Erdo camp, but he's very traditional and has gone increasingly more so in the years. So, But because he's got such a wide respect in all the conservative areas, this is kind of like an elephant in the room, because if you look at Dom um, Alcuin's reasoning, for his ordination, it's about eighty percent the same as Archbishop Lefebvre's argument in favor of the consecrations. That's right. And so the only difference is that they don't do public ministry; it's merely for the continuance of the monastery. And the, um, you know, and of course everything followed pop, proper order. It's just the bishop said, "Oh, but uh, I don't want to be roach bitten."
0: Yeah. Now, uh, there's 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 one other thing that I would like to draw out into this conversation. And I know that the three of you are aware of this, but many people might not be aware of the fact that John Paul II, when he was a cardinal, was behind the Iron Curtain, secretly and illicitly ordaining men to the priesthood. This is, and, and he wasn't the only one. This is why I'm calling this like an, an Iron Curtain style in, 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 in the basement of a, of a nondescript building, a secret, illicit, so-called emergency clandestine ordination of a man in order to continue on the dispensement of the sacraments and therefore the disbursement of sanctifying grace in the Catholic church. But what we're seeing now is that this has to have that, that the iron curtain has enveloped the entire planet. And that is, I think, I think it's significant. I think this is worth us talking about brother Martin, because I, the way I look at it is, if it was okay for John Paul II to do it, uh, because you know the, the communists were, were were attacking the church, well, if the Pope is a communist, if the if half of the ecclesiastical leadership were communists, if communism is inside the church, then we're all living under the Iron Curtain. And if there ever was a doubt about the state of emergency, um, I think that doubt is dispensed with, and we don't get to know who this prelate is a lot of people are saying it's cardinal Mueller. that's what uh dr stein uh surmised that it was we don't actually know could have been bishop schneider could have been could have been vegano for all i know could have been could have been cardinal burke could have been anybody um that's not what's important what's important is that this happened and that it's happened in such a public way to the absolute silence of mainstream catholic media
10: it shows. I mean, three things come off the top of my head. One, that there is a high-ranking prelim who, who would think that this is necessary, that we're in a situation where this is necessary. Two, that there's a credible theologian, a very famous theologian, that would accept it and realize that it was it was necessary. Uh, and third, I may have forgotten my third point. Um, did, you just the, did
0: you call Rick Perry? Probably. You're get rid of three it. federal agencies, and you couldn't remember the third one, and then well, Trump named you <laughs> to lead that third
10: one. When I when I go from the from my first idea down to my third idea, I end up forgetting it. But uh, <laughs> it's 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 just the fact that um, very very important people who otherwise in a normal situation would 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 be very few and far between to, to do something like this are 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 doing this. Um, it should it should be a matter of great attention for for all the news publications because it's like wait okay these were you know closer to the neoconservative camp than the traditionalist camp mm-hmm. um and now they're doing exactly the same thing that they gave birth to the traditionalist camp it was archbishop lefebvre being a prelate in full communion with the church yeah. illicitly ordaining priests for 10 years until he would, had to consecrate bishops well the question is too to this to this cardinal who's ordaining priests if we get to the point to where he's going to have to consecrate bishops would he do it because if he's the only one going around there doing these these clan ordinations eventually he's gonna he's gonna die i mean you know two of the of the three dubio cardinals um have already died so i mean eventually it comes for all death comes for all of us so 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 what's left this isn't just a temporary one two-year crisis this this is something that's been going on since the 60s and 70s
0: james does this clandestine ordination vindicate archbishop lefebvre in your mind
9: You know what? There's a bit of a delay here. Could you repeat that question?
0: Uh, I'm asking if this ordination in some way vindicates Archbishop Lefebvre.
9: Oh, absolutely. Um, Again, you know, Lefebvre was so ahead of his time. You can kind of see the timeline in which Lefebvre was taking to judiciously uh, work things out with, with, I was going to say Congress, with with the Vatican, with Ratzinger himself. You know, so this is a work was doing with ratzinger to make sure he was within the law of the church uh you know in union with with the pope he, he slaved over every detail to making sure that when the time came there would be not any reason for him to, to get denied he met several times with cardinal ratzinger uh, and cardinal Ratzinger unfortunately uh kept pushing off what was imminent and so Lefebvre now realized Either uh, Ratzinger is leading him on or, you know, there's there's some other reason why this isn't happening. So he just decided, you know what, I'm getting old. I can't see the spiritual sons that I've raised become priests if I keep standing here waiting for something to happen in Rome. So he determined Rome was not going to have this happen. And what did he do? He decided, you know what, it's going to fall to me and I have to make the right step or take the right step to make sure this happens. And so instead of doing just one <laughs> consecration, he did four. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. um, th- this basically, uh, for me, is another uh, calls to mind uh, the actions of the Faire. And before Le Faire, obviously, um, something like this had not really happened. We, we Of course, we hear about the story of uh, John Paul II behind the iron court, uh, a curtain, but that's something mm-hmm. that came out years after
0: oh yeah that's something that came out recently i mean within the last year it became more widely yeah. known before that it wasn't terribly terribly known ryan I, I the silence is deafening in my opinion besides dr stein and besides the rundown you're not going to get this news anywhere nobody wants to talk about it it's almost like it's being it's being buried on purpose this is this is a you know the the head of an of an abbey in in europe uh who is who was clandestine uh, made a priest. I mean, like the, the, the ordination was secret. The, the identity of the ordaining Bishop or Cardinal is not known. It may never be known. I mean, this is like, this is like a, a mystery novel. This is a suspense thriller that nobody cares about.
8: Because it brings forth a lot of very awkward questions. And there's a lot of people who are not ready to begin to undertaking the work to answer those questions such as if this highly respected theologian who is very much beloved in, you know, all the, you know, conservative Catholic circles that I've been reading Alcuin Reed for probably just about 20 years now, uh, you know, he goes back quite a while, right? If he has to undertake this action when even by his bishops uh, explicit attestation There's a protestation, protestation, there's, he's done nothing wrong. There are no issues preventing him from being ordained other than it's politically incorrect with the current regime in the Vatican. That itself brings very uncomfortable questions of all sorts of different, different nature. Like what kind of resistance should we, or could we show to that said regime? And Mm -hmm. Is it time, you know, for that kind of resistance? Should we be doing things openly? Or <clears throat> if we do, might we not lose what we already have? And it's going to challenge a lot of people because they're going to come down to that human respect. I have this office. And that's why, again, like even just to reference back the first story, with Bishop cordeleoni I mean, he has to know that there's going to be payback coming from him for him from mm-hmm. the power that shouldn't be in the church. Right, you know, just as this bishop was afraid of that very thing, and um, you know, and so I get I salute for doing this, even if we, we might not agree with the way he worded his letter, or whatever else. This is a win on that score, just because it took a little bit of courage on his part, and you know, courage that this bishop in France did not have, and that a lot of prelates who are deciding, or a lot of uh, thinkers, theologians, writers, people in official positions, as they watch what's happened to Dom Alcuin Reed, they're like, Well. You know, they have to deal with that. If I speak out and criticize the status quo, I, I could lose what I've got and that human respect comes in. And then there's deeper questions, too. What do we do with a pope who so abuses his office in this way? We haven't seen anything like this, you know, in 400 years. So what are we going to do about this? I mean, the last pope that behaved in this fashion was Sixtus the Fifth. He was a Franciscan uh, He was mm-hmm. called uh, the papa terrible Secondo because the first Papa terrible was uh, it was Julius the second sixth is the fifth was terrible because he had a fiery temper and you know and he would uh, get get his uh, get an idea in his head that this is the way we need to do things and just just bulldoze his way through no matter what opposition excommunicating and censuring and suspending whoever he had to 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 get things done which almost ended up in great disaster for the church on a number of points. Um, Other things he did well, but there's things he did really poorly because of that. So, you know, you're looking at, okay, now we have this regime in Rome where the priests in Rome are scared. The atmosphere in Rome is toxic. And I, I don't know if I've told this story here before. I know I've told it somewhere before, but in 2017, there's a church um i won't say where it is just in case somebody is listening <laughs> over there um but it, that i had never been able to get into so it was always locked and then i got into it and i was admiring some of the, it was in this perfect ideal little courtyard be, beautiful you know little area and you know then i got in admiring kind of the Baroque uh re- refit that it had during that time. And then the priest, he notices I'm obviously not Italian. He comes out and speaks to me. I see what I'm doing in Rome, what brings me to Rome. And I said, Well, still Vaticano. I'm working in the Vatican, which is Trump. Where I was working in the Vatican library at the time, researching. And so and he immediately he he lost it. He got angry. Mm-hmm. And he just went on this 20-minute tirade about the Pope and how terrible he is, how awful he is, and and how he's two-faced. He does and this is a Roman diocesan priest. He doesn't know me from Adam. He doesn't know that I might be some secret Swiss guard. Of course, I mean, if I am, it, they're, they're they're desperate for recruits, you know, but, <laughs> um, but anyway, so he has no idea if I'm like an informant or something. He doesn't care. He just lost it. And it actually kind of shocked me, the level of, of uh, anger this priest was feeling about the way Francis runs the diocese in Rome. And, and again, he didn't know me from Adam. Right. And so if that is a, and I'm just saying if, cause I don't, I can't assert that that is the widespread opinion, but from what I've heard, it's a pretty common opinion amongst the Roman clergy.
0: Yeah, and 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 worldwide as well. I think, uh, brother, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this thing. But I, my one of my questions about this would be: Is there a real huge downside in who, whoever uh, did the ordination, whichever cleric it was, high, high-ranking prelate? Is there a huge downside in in that identity becoming known in the future? I mean, what's uh, what's going to happen to him?
10: Well, I- immediately by the by the very fact that he ordains somebody, he's he's not permitted to ordain somebody for at least another year. That's that's explicit in canon law. Now, if he goes around do, doing this for many other communities, if he's doing it particularly for the traditional right, and Rome wants to suppress it, the use of the traditional right for ordinations, that could cause another problem. They'll try to try to. Uh, you know, bringing his pension, his health insurance, all that kind of stuff into play and saying, if you do this, then we're just gonna drop you, you know, drop your salary, you know, all the all the way down and you won't be able to live the life you want. You won't be able to travel the places you need to travel to do these ordinations. Or uh there was there was something that came out several years ago of uh, every time a a cardinal leaves Rome, he has to tell the Pope himself where he's going. Yeah. Right. That, that that little rule. Um so so there's all these you know they're they're watching everybody in, in what they do. And so there, there is some, there there are repercussions for the for the bishop becoming known. At the same time, it's kind of dangerous in the sense that, you know, we're taking Dom Queen Queen at his at his word that he was actually ordained. And so if we go and receive the whole Eucharist from him, we're assuming that it's it's actually our Lord. Or if we go to confession with him, we're assuming that it's actually a valid you know absolution. Uh, because there's no pictures, there's no documents that we've seen with with signatures. Uh, or anything like that. And so that that causes a huge problem also for clandestine ordinations in the future for those who want to, to brag that they've mm-hmm. gotten their orders from someone who is in unquestionable in communion with Rome. In the sense that prove it. Prove it that you were ordained. Prove it. Um so that that's a huge issue because if now if you got communities all over the world saying, Oh yeah, we were ordained, oh no, 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 we can't prove that we were ordained, but it's from a, you know, a bishop in communion with Rome. Yeah, I mean, prove yeah, it. I mean prove
0: that it. that is a good point. Uh, they don't provide public ministry, so mm-hmm. that is a, an interesting point. What we're talking about is is ordaining a priest so that the other monks, you know, have right. access to the sacraments, so that the you know the monastery can continue forward. Right. Um, that is a certainly that's that's a different situation than say you know a man who takes orders illicitly and secretly and doesn't ever reveal who gave him those those holy orders. And he's like trying to sort of perish somewhere, you know, and, and minister to the public. That is a that's a that's a much different. It's like apples and oranges. But notwithstanding that fact, it is it is pretty interesting. We do have to move the show forward, though. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about uh, Dom Reed uh, more, but unfortunately, I have to announce to you that um,
11: the United States is at war. I, w- I wish we would get off this and really focus on the on the enemy. I know there's a lot of politics here. Uh, but we're at war. We need to produce energy. As I told you, In, uh, Code Point is now sending 80% reversing Asia uh, supply to European supply because they need it because we're at war.
0: We're at war, and thank God there's at least one person in Congress who's like, where was the declaration? And I
11: support Ukrainians, but I represent Americans. And Americans want to stand alongside Zelensky and push back on Putin, but they want us to do our job responsibly. And When I hear the majority leader of the other party say, quote, a time of war, when I sat with the majority leader in a rules committee meeting upstairs and he said, we're at war and I'm wondering when we voted to go to war. If, people, if we're going to have a proxy war and we're going to give $40 billion to Ukraine because we want to look all fancy with our blue and yellow ribbons and feel good about ourselves, maybe we should actually have a debate in this chamber, a debate in this body, because the American people expect us to do that. When the border of this country is wide open and cartels have control of it and fentanyl is pouring in and we have $30.5 trillion of debt and gas prices are spiking and $1,100 to fill a tank of diesel and we go, oh, blank check, $40 billion. And by the way, I'm looking at my colleagues on this side of the aisle on that same point.
0: Now, Rand Paul did everything he could to tank the $40 billion deal. He delayed it significantly. Uh, we didn't get to uh, show his cut last week. This is what he did last week. My oath of office is to the U.S. Constitution, not to any foreign nation. And we lost the video. But the point is, Ryan, the, the $40 billion did pass today. And now uh, the big news is, is that it the bill is being hand carried to South Korea where apparently the usurper in chief faith Catholic Joe Biden is so that they can hand him the bill in South Korea, fly it to him so that he can dramatically sign it with his pen. Even though presidents can sign bills from wherever they are, they have the signing pen, but they got to do the big dog and pony show Ryan and send the 40 billion, I guess in planes, you know, like they did with like, like when Obama sent the billions of dollars in cash to Iran. I mean, this is this is just insane. This is it
8: makes me think of the Simpsons episode where, in classic Simpsons, before it became Disneyfied, Zombified Simpsons. Um, actually, I've been watching for a number of years even before Disney bought it. But the Montgomery Burns gets the trillion dollar bill that's meant to help Europe. And so the United States stamps a trillion dollar bill to bring to Europe. And then Burns ends up running off with it, um, which actually uh, is kind of it, it's a little metaphor for how foreign aid actually works. You send all this money over there, but it's really coming back over here because who are the beneficiaries of most of that foreign aid? Um, all the military contractor companies, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, etc., cetera, uh, fill in the blanks, with all the other ones. Um, you know, private military companies as well that that hired soldiers to do kind of the dirty work that we don't want soldiers get our soldiers getting mixed in with all of that in the money is going in there. It's going to um, Ukrainian boards where there are Americans who serve on them and that money's coming back through them into various places and funneling its way. It's a, all foreign aid is money laundering. It doesn't help anyone who's actually over there. In in three months, you could if it were possible, you could go to all any Ukrainian to any uh on the street in any city and say, hey, did you see any of this aid of uh you know 40 uh this 40 billion dollar aid. Uh, nope, they're not going to know anything about it. So it, it, it's more, like you said, it's a dog and pony show, just like the entire war at this point. I don't know what I can trust. I, yeah. I you know, do I, I don't trust Russian state media. I don't trust Ukrainian state media, and I don't trust our media. And mm-hmm. so that leaves me in a position where I I cannot pontificate on what is actually going on in Ukraine because I don't know because I don't trust any of the sources that are coming to me. You know, I don't believe Putin's in the right, and I don't believe Zelensky's in the right it's like, and you look at this this mess the, the way the left is pushing so hard with the right and the media anything that's truly bipartisan actually should be terrifying to most people is my kind of my general philosophy. And this is one of those where left and right, everyone's got the Ukrainian flag. So you get you got the left, you can mock the left. It's like, hey, I see you got that Ukrainian flag and that rainbow flag. Do you know that gay marriage is illegal in Ukraine? Oh, you know, <laughs> it would explode their heads and then go to the right. Hey, you're saying you're fighting for freedom. Do you know that uh, all political opposition to Zelensky is now illegal in Ukraine? Um, you know, it, all the things that we're saying about Putin are true of Zelensky too. So it's like the whole thing is a big mess. It's another distraction. What's really going to come out of it. I keep thinking about those bio labs and it makes me think of another story we're going to cover tonight. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, again, I, I just, like you said, it's a dog and pony show. Uh, it, it's the idea of foreign aid is money laundering. We really got no business doing it. And we're, it doesn't advance American interests. It doesn't but brother, advance.
0: But Brother Martin, what about all the Catholics in, um, in the Ukraine? I mean, they're are, there are there are, there are 2% Catholics in Russia, and they're like 9% Catholics in the Ukraine. So doesn't that change your opinion? Come on.
10: Well, not necessarily, because, I mean, Catholics are Catholics, and we support them no the matter especially when they're in the minority. Um, but that was always, that was always my first draw was was the Catholics in in Ukraine because they have a, a huge history of suffering under the Russians, especially during the the communist era and even previous to that because uh, the Orthodox were always I mean there were murders I mean we have Saint Joseph had to to kind of share that story uh, with the rest of the Catholics. Unitism was always you know Russians would rather kill than have their own brothers um, be faithful to Rome. You know and and it's it's just the absurdity of something like that that makes you really wonder what, what's really behind them. Uh, being orthodox, what does it mean to be orthodox? It means to be anti-Roman first and foremost. It doesn't mean to be uh, in love with Jesus Christ, but to be for, first and foremost anti-Roman. Um, and so, it, it, it's hard knowing people are, are going to suffer and whatnot. And, and um, but at the same time, it, it's also it's also to me um, unreasonable to say, you know, okay, if I if I support a certain, if I, if I choose to support a certain side in, in, in a conflict, that means that I have to support everything that 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 side stands for. Well, not necessarily. I mean. In one sense, if, if Ukraine is so corrupt, if Ukraine is so left wing, uh, why, does, why does Putin want it so bad? I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, is, what does he want to do with, with incorporating into his economy, incorporating in, into his society a whole bunch a whole, a whole country of degenerates. What's that supposed to going to do to Russia? I mean, it seems that you know when you mix in some degenerates, it's not always the Christians that convert the degenerates. It's the degenerates that convert the Christians?
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of the theory of the bad apples, right? It's kind of yeah. like, um, you know, you if you have one bad apple in the batch, Ryan, then the error t- tends to spread. This is one of the reasons why we harp on it. We won't do it uh, this week because we do it quite often, but we harp on the error of free speech uh, because when you give uh, error rights, then error spreads faster than truth. It's just the nature of error.
8: Well, that's precisely what it is. And so... Um... You know, I look at, I mean, the errors of Russia, you know, whatever about consecration talk and everything like that, there's still a lot of error in Russia. And so it's state church, it's uh, its leaders between Putin and Kirill, and they're both ex-KGB, right? And so... I, no more reasons that just don't furnish trust in me on what their particular motives are the in this this business if again what's being reported is 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 believable which i really don't think it is um there's there's not a lot that putin really gains and if the reporting we're getting is accurate um you know ukraine is standing strong supposedly against russia it's like well wait a minute what is russia but a paper tiger so why are we so scared of russia but um Anyway, yeah, we could go on about that on the political side. But, um, you know, the the error, though, that's um, so glaring to me uh, among all these things is that with, you know, you're you're saying, hey, here's a power with nuclear weapons Mm -hmm. and we want to piss them off and go to war with them and do all these things. To uh, you know, to strike at them, and and why it just doesn't make it any real sense. But I think really they're not actually scared of a nuclear war because I think in the background there's also deals through the NGOs and through the political into discussions because Europe can't sustain it. Is Europe mm-hmm. gets its gas from Russia, and that's not going away. So that you have the chancellor, you have Macron, and you have the chancellor in Germany who have all been making deals with Putin or trying to make deals with Putin. or saying, hey, we need to let off on these sanctions because all of our people are going to be freezing and our industry is going to collapse if we don't have Russian gas. Um, And then they're being told by the neocons in Washington, no, you can't do that. You can't accept Putin's gas. And they're not ponying up an alternative. Uh, which I think also is part of the plan, you know. And I think in so many ways there there's things going on in the background with the major players at the next level from the politicians. That's your G7 and your, your NGOs and your build what what used to be Bilderberger, this big thing. Now I think it's just kind of a show to get people worked up. Um, and of course, the World Economic Forum and all the things they're calling for. The Russian conflict is helping. Yeah. So you know, so I muse conspiratorially. Uh, is that because, you know, Putin's being promised X by X bankers and players and, you know, Zelensky and the West and NATO being promised Y by them? And so they're, they're all kind of convinced and duped. Or is it more that there's a lot more people that are in on what's happening? And this is really just a big show where like a wag the dog war in order to stop planting in Ukraine, where most of your organic animal feed comes from that we have in this country. A lot of that comes from Ukraine whether it's for chickens or, uh, you know, pigs and beef, horses, whatever kind of feed you're getting uh, that's organic and not GMO, not sprayed, it's mostly grown in Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not being planted. Neither is the wheat in the Black Sea region, neither is, and, and it's crunching those wheat prices all around the country. In the intro, you did that video from uh, Ice Age Farmer about Iran, where they have to, they've had to put in food rationing, which is tied to a digital ration card. They're using all the Gates ID 2020 stuff and implementing it there. And this conflict is going to hasten all that sort of stuff happening here because not only is the, the Ukraine a huge source for, for all these different crops, especially wheat, um, we're having droughts and weather problems in the American Midwest. They're having problems in Argentina. They're having problems all around the world. So yeah.
0: it, it, It's second half of the show. We're going to be talking about those food shortages. Uh, we have abortion. And we're going to be talking about the health tyranny that is coming soon to a sovereign country near you.
12: back on March 24th of this year, Joe Biden announced that thanks to the regime change war, he's decided to voluntarily wage in Eastern Europe, our country, the United States, will soon face food shortages. Food shortages are, quote, going to be real, Biden said. Now, the reporters in the room dutifully transcribed the words and wrote their stories, but you may have missed it. You may not have even heard this because there weren't a lot of follow-up pieces about these man-made food shortages that Joe Biden was predicting. And that's weird if you think about it, because... Food shortages are inherently a big deal. You could argue they're even more significant than, say, a slap fight between actors at an awards ceremony. Food shortages are historic events. They overturn societies. They bring down empires. They often have. If you've got food shortages, you've got a potentially destabilizing problem on your hands. And now we do have food shortages. They're real, as Joe Biden predicted. As of tonight, at least 26 states are reporting that half their retail stores are completely out of baby formula. That would include the states of Texas, Tennessee, Missouri, and Iowa, and many others. So these are major population centers without enough food for newborns. In Memphis and Nashville, 52% of stores have no baby formula. Houston and Des Moines are reporting similar shortages. In San Antonio, a city with an unusually high percentage of families with small children, 57% of all stores in the city have no baby formula. Those are the numbers. Journalist Savannah Hernandez went to see for herself what the reality looks like. She went to eight different stores in Texas and not a single one of them had any baby formula to sell. Watch.
0: I believe her. Um, food shortages are coming. Uh, they're already here. And to your point, the, it's, it's really a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator. The, the fact that there's no baby formula on the shelves is a lagging indicator. We're already feeling it. The leading indicator that Ryan talked about was the fact that Zelensky gave a handful of rounds and a rifle to every single farmer in his country, sent them to the front lines and got them killed. So now there are no farmers left in Ukraine, which is the breadbasket to the world in many ways, a huge participant in the wheat market of the global economy. And that's a leading indicator, meaning we're not going to feel that for a while but when we do it will seem sudden
4: ryan
8: it will it'll be one day there's there's groceries for you one day there's there's this and then uh, you'll go back or it'll, it'll be you, know, you won't pay attention to it, and all of a sudden it'll all be gone where did it go uh there'll it, be panic i mean if anyone remembers like the great toilet paper panic in costco and wherever else in uh, during the the uh, the unspecified virus of unspecified origins right if anyone remembers that they had uh, it was just all of a sudden it came out of nowhere and everyone was scrambling for toilet paper you didn't know why there was a shortage but it was all gone um and it, it didn't really make any sense and then you find out from insiders well there's actually plenty of toilet paper but it's just we want to kind of reserve it and slow down the supply to the stores just in case so a lot of it's actually sitting in the was sitting in the warehouses but this won't be the case this time. When you look at meat, uh, the way that meat production works in most of the grocery stores is that there is about a year's supply of frozen meat that is then, you know, cut down in you know, all your various cuts of whatever animal, and and sent out, and it's being replaced. So that if a crisis happens, you have a year's supply to try to fix things, and that's the way they they had it set up. Well, during the uh, unspecified virus of unspecified origin they, uh, we ate through that entire year's worth of frozen meat because COVID lockdowns and, and other nonsense had shut down <clears throat> the plants, all the meat processing plants. Now I'm not in favor of factory meat, I'm not in favor of COFA's, I'm not in favor of the way we do things, but if sudden shock like that, you're going to create famine, which you really need is a slow transition to healthier practices. But when you have that sudden cut, um, you know, that's going to be it's really bad for everybody. But that's exactly what happened. We cut through that layer and it has not been replaced. And that's why there's a lot of places where the meat is starting to go up and it's going to continue to go up. Uh, you know, again, because I mean, all the feed that they, they feed the commercial animals is gone through the roof and they can't get the soybeans they used to use, which, again, I, I don't like soybeans because of all the phytoestrogens and other things that that, you know, unless it's fermented, and you get rid of those. They're not really fit for. Uh, human and animal consumption. But nevertheless, that affects the prices at the store. And that also affects the prices of your grass-fed beef that you're getting from a local farmer or your pigs that you're getting from a local rancher or whatever. And, uh, you know, all those prices that they, as they go up, yours are going to go up too. So that's why you still have to watch those. Even if you're like, well, I don't eat soy-raised animals. No, you're not. But those prices are going to affect you that way too.
0: And yeah, that's
8: fair. what we're seeing with the meat. It is just going to keep going up.
0: And it's not as though COVID is gone. Like the lockdowns in China, uh, look at how draconian this
2: is.
5: Hundreds
0: of thousands of people living in these facilities. Jake Tapper on CNN now trying to prop COVID back up, trying
12: to uh, help lay the foundation of a COVID Comeback. Also on our health lead, the White House holding its first White House coronavirus briefing since the beginning of April. This comes as the CDC says COVID cases have tripled in the past month. Joining us now, Dr. Paul Offit, who's on the FDA Vaccine Advisory <laughs> Committee and the director of the Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Offit, right now, additional COVID funding is stalled in Congress this comes as the White House has warned that 100 million Americans could be infected with coronavirus this winter. I want you to take a listen to this warning from Dr. Ja, the White House COVID response coordinator.
6: Without additional funding from Congress, we will not be able to buy enough vaccines for every American who wants one once these new generation of vaccines come out in the fall and winter. What
12: what could that do to case numbers if not everyone is able to get a vaccine this fall who wants one?
7: Well, certainly cases are increasing. Um, the good news is we have probably about 95% population immunity from people who've been vaccinated or naturally infected or both. So what you're seeing is although you're seeing case numbers increase, what you're not seeing is, is much of an increase in hospitalization, a little increase in hospitalization, but virtually no increase in deaths, which is what you would expect. You're getting protection against serious illness, but you're not getting very good protection against mild illness. What, what worries me is that that a variant would arise that, is, that resists protection against serious illness. Were that to be true, we would need a variant specific vaccine to be given to the entire population. And you wanna make sure you have money in place to be ready for something like that to occur.
0: Okay, so what he's doing is he's, he's, he's scaremongering. Now, what I want you to see is the Pfizer CEO talking about the, the next generation of ingestible medicines. Look at how he marvels at the level of compliance you can achieve with smart medicines.
7: It is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, it sec- sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, uh, compliance. Uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field.
0: Imagine the compliance. This is the, the Pfizer CEO at the World Economic Forum just drooling over the fact that you're going to take a smart pill that is that has an electronic signature that is going to digest in your stomach and then, only then, are you compliant if you take the pill. Uh, this parlays nicely into this pending so-called treaty that apparently the United States is going to sign with the World Health Organization, granting them the power to erase borders, uh, decree when uh, global health events are, uh, are defined, when you have a pandemic. They, they, they get to do all the
6: deciding. You've got so many people talking about it. They are going to come in and tell you, not ask you, but tell you when your pandemic starts. What does that mean? Does that mean, and and people obviously have a lot of questions about this, what's going on? For countries that don't abide by obligations set out in the pandemic treaty, Dr. Tedros has suggested that the WHO may need the authority to direct other countries to sanction non-compliant countries that don't want to impose restrictions. They could dictate how our doctors can respond, which drugs can and can't be used, or which vaccines are approved we would end up with a one-sized-fits-all approach for the entire world in a pandemic. A one-sized-fits-all response to a health crisis does not work across a single country and certainly not across the entire globe. This has been the issue of this thing.
0: Just a reminder that the top two funders of the World Health Organization are the United States and Bill Gates himself.
5: Prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is... uh... We'll get attention this time.
0: And if that's not creepy enough, look at the who talking about taking your kids.
12: Due to lockdown, most of the transmission that's actually happening in many countries now is happening in the household at family level. In some senses, transmission has been taken off the streets and pushed back into family units. Now, we need to go and look in families to find those people who may be sick and remove them and isolate them in a a safe and dignified manner.
0: Okay, safe and dignified manner. Uh, The WHO wants to take your children away. They announced (laughs) this in 2020. That's what they intend to do. And the United States is about to sign over the uh, your authority as a parent, Ryan, to your children, to a global NGO, which is literally funded by Bill Gates.
8: It's one of those things that especially Bill Gates is controlling it. Let's say that Bill Gates was some veritable angel with the most wonderful intentions for the benefit of humanity. Uh, <clears throat> let's say that was true, even though it's not. Uh, he reads something in the paper, some some doctor, we got to do X. And he says, wow, yeah. And out of that abundance of love, which he actually does not have, he pushes all of his resources into doing X. And then after it's all done, you find out that was actually the wrong way to go. That was actually that, that actually caused far more destruction and more harm than, than we thought it was going to do. Oh, whoops, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And this is the problem when you have one person with all the control, the resources at the helm is even if they have the best intentions, they're not necessarily the best person to be directing that policy. And that's, I mean, that's the very, you know, Nut and kernel of the problem, and of course, now add in the reality that the guy thinks the earth's population has to be reduced by 80%. He's pushing zero carbon, which in the climate nonsense, which of course means human genocide or human sacrifices to Pachamama or whatever you'll have it right. <laughs> and uh, that's so we're about to sign basically our sovereignty away, and there's all those people, no, no, but the constitution will protect us. I'm sorry, the constitution is a piece of paper. And when politicians decide to ignore it, it ceases to be at all useful. So this. Well, and by out.
0: the way, just as a constitutional note, uh, with the three of us being, of course, constitutional scholars, uh, if the United States signs a treaty, it requires two thirds of the Senate to ratify that treaty. But that treaty does become the law of the land. Mm hmm. That treaty supersedes the Constitution. It's actually written that way in the document. So if we were to sign this treaty and 67 senators were to ratify the treaty with the World Health Organization, the Constitution won't help you at all, Ryan. I, I think that's a great point.
8: Yeah, that, that's precisely right. It Not only is it not going to help you, start considering all those things that you value as as, as Americans do, uh, at least most of us are gun rights, for example, are parental rights. uh, Those will all go away. And so I'm hearing the feedback. I'm not sure if you're hearing it. There There we go. go. Good. Um, So anyway, so all those rights are, you know, the rights as parents. Guess who runs the World Health Organization? People that believe it takes a village, not people who believe in the rights of the family. Mm -hmm. Okay, And uh, don't expect any help from the church because all of these people... Uh, everyone in the Vatican is always hobnobbing with all of these people at the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, Bill Gates, you name it, Jeffrey Sachs, Um, everything in this treaty basically erodes all of your, even your personal human sovereignty rights as parents over your property and your children, your animals, that's in there too. Uh, Stopping avian flu and all these (laughs) things, which are, they're going around again with phony PCR tests saying, oh, look, your bird flock has this uh, H5N1 Or H1N5, right? I can't remember the designation that they're running with right now. There's not, they haven't had a confirmed case of this bird is actually suffering and look, it wiped out this whole flock. They all died of this respiratory virus. They have, oh, this PCR test is is now blue instead of red. And so it's showing that your birds have it. So we're going to come in and cull millions of chickens or whatever else uh, because they have this. And that will always be the excuse until nobody has their own way to be sufficient and independent of the state.
0: Right. And, and, and the real danger, and I think somebody uh, rightly pointed this out in the chat, is that when you give the definitional authority, because words matter. I mean, words mean things. But when you allow somebody, when you wo- allow the World Health Organization to define what a pandemic is and when it starts and to take away your sovereignty, I want to I want to pull up James Williams here. He says gun violence is a quote unquote health pandemic. One of the first things that the World Health Organization, if we were to become uh, if we were to ratify this, uh, this treaty, Brother Martin, is that they would they would move to take away guns like any civilized society. Right. Like Australia, like England. And uh, and that would be that the last thing that Bill Gates wants is an armed populace when he pulls, you know, a a fast one on us and releases the monkeypox.
10: The monkeypox, that's an interesting one, because it, it's supposedly uh, not exactly like the last uh, scandemic that we had where it was supposedly airborne, but uh, this this monkeypox thing is supposedly trans transported by physical contact, so uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. But taking away our gun rights, I mean, I guess in one sense, the, the, the United States is the last country in the world to really have such uh, open gun rights, and right now we should really be taking advantage of them in the sense of stocking up, but... I mean, with all the weapons that they have, biological weapons, um, I mean, it's like, are we really trying to survive? This is like, it, it almost sounds apocalyptic, you know, of, of what we're up against, um, which really makes us ask ourselves, remind ourselves, uh, what's what's the real purpose of life? What are we here for? Are we here to have the longest life possible? Or are we here to get to heaven? Um, and so we, we, we can we can read the news and think about, you know, how long can we possibly survive under these situations but i mean in the sense we we know that our we can only survive so long you can only plan so so much for for the food shortages being out you can only stock up so much um and then if it if it lasts longer than what you've prepared for well then you're kind of sol so mm-hmm. uh, eventually eventually the end that you were trying to avoid and it's going to come for you it's just going to come for you just at a different time so uh the, the real the real thing is is, is to uh <laughs> our only chance of salvation is converting those that are against us yeah. um and that, that was what the early romans were were in the face of i mean they were literally taking christians and light, using them to light the streets in rome bringing them on fire um that was kind of more intense than what we're up against
0: many of our live viewers right now 300 of you are like this cat you're mesmerized by what we're saying and you haven't subscribed to the Rundown
5: channel.
0: (laughs) Now, look, you can find the Rundown still on a playlist on RTF, but RTF might not exist forever. The Rundown, however, will live on and on and on. If you haven't subscribed to the Rundown channel and you're watching it on the Rundown channel right now, make sure you look, look at your device. Are you subscribed? Subscribe to the channel. Don't be like this. Mesmerized cat. Because here's what you need. Sometimes you just need a wake up. <laughs> that's what I think. If you haven't subscribed, that's what that's what needs to happen. Or actually, this is what Pope Francis thinks. Okay, abortions in the news, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of abortion videos uh, that we have to get through. There were some hearings on Capitol Hill. And some things said that will shock you. Yes, these are our fellow citizens. But do you consider this woman to be your fellow countryman?
8: So, so abortion should be allowed then, by your definition for any reason, for any purpose at any stage, right?
2: I trust people to make decisions about their body. And then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical p- practitioners.
8: OK,
3: and not is, if conquest. it is. Listen, let me just ask you this question. If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct?
2: I believe that okay. that is Okay,
3: and wrong. a 2-year-old child, same thing. That would be murder. We would all agree that's wrong.
8: Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is 2 years old or 9
11: months old or 1 week old or an hour old than one that is 8 inches further up the birth canal in the utero? What, what's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases?
2: I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop.
0: Wow. Full stop. Same well, woman. Yeah. Same woman, different question. Um,
3: what do you say a woman is?
2: I believe that everyone can identify for themselves.
3: Okay. Um, do, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions?
0: Yes. Okay, so she's just the more civilized version of, uh, of these people. Uh, this is just a clip of some of the abortion pro-abortion uh, activities that happened over the weekend in the capital and in cities around the country.
5: And we-
0: people actually believe that. That's shocking. And for those who are listening on the podcast, there was a woman holding a sign saying that a fetus, Brother Martin, is a good snack
10: demonic demonic it's irrational obviously um i always try to look at these situations like what could do to help um <laughs> there, there's no way to actually dialogue with these people that there's they're so uh, immersed in their passions the, the purpose of their life is simply to feel good um reason isn't isn't to support it the passions. is to reason reason is to help you to live to find a way um to satisfy all of your passions so it's it's the complete inverse of what we're all living for Um, has to do with several philosophies that come before that, what what societies become entertainment, uh, what it feeds us. There's a lot of work, work to be done. um, But really if if we want quick results and yet it has, it has to come from force of law, obviously. I mean, it's a useful tool. It's obviously not enough to educate people to not to want to do things, these things uh, in a back alley, all that kind of stuff to still commit these sins, um, these crimes. But nonetheless, it's still something that we have to fight for. That's it's legitimate for us to spend our time fighting for.
0: You know, and you you mentioned reason. I, I found this uh, this young lady's answer to a pro-abortion Democrat to be imminently reasonable. She absolutely owned him. And uh, you're going to watch. Uh, we we can win on the rational argument, but we're not talking about rational people, unfortunately.
7: They called is candidly and openly calling for a nationwide ban on all abortions with no exceptions for rape or incest. And if I've got that wrong, I would invite Ms. Foster to correct me. Do I have it wrong? Yes or no?
3: Um, If we added rape and incest exceptions, would you vote for it?
7: Uh, Okay. I reclaim my time, of course. Uh, (laughs)
5: <laughs> I can't even answer the
0: question. You know, they hang their hats, Brian. Uh, this, mm-hmm. is, this is something that the pro-aborts do. This is something that, that people do in logic all the time, putting, uh, putting uh, an extreme amount of emphasis on the so-called um, exceptions to the rule, but always using that to avoid the rule. Putting second right. things first and avoiding talking about the actual principle, which is what she baited him into doing and he mm-hmm. couldn't do.
8: Right. I put the cart before the horse. I, I, uh, I tend not to argue abortion, especially on Twitter, because I'm going to go into rage and start uh, weaving tapestries, of profanity and things like that, because I just can't debate with people dispassionately on the subject because it is it's just a natural law. It's simple enough. But yeah, that you look at an exception like rape and incest that hits you, strikes you in the heart. Oh, someone was raped. That's such a horrible crime. We shouldn't make her have a baby. Um, and, and incest is its own form of rape. So, uh, at least when it's minors, anyway. And when it's older, it's more complicated. But the, the the fundamental reality of that is that okay, so a crime was committed, so we get to commit another one. Really, that works. I've known several women who themselves were the children uh, of a mother who was raped, and they had really happy lives. They were in 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 each case too. And I met some of the mothers actually, because uh, just three of them were in college, one was subsequent at a crisis pregnancy center I volunteered at. And you know the mothers were happier for that because it gave them hope. It gave them a sense of life, it gave them something to love. and it helped the healing from the horrible violation of the rape, right? Mm. Uh, and so it, it, and then if you get away from that and move to statistics, rape and incest are like a 0.01% of the reasons given for abortion. So we're going to say that, okay, all abortion has to be legal right up to the minute where that baby is about to leave the birth canal because of this 0.01 case. That's ultimately what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, well, if you say you need, and, and, and she turns that around so wonderfully, and it shows the error in their logic because you know, they're like yeah what about rape and incest and then oh so you'll vote for a bill that has that that has allowed, says no abortions except for rape and incest and they're like uh oh I don't want to go that far no because of course this is their sacrament it is the sacrament of the devil to murder the unborn and that that's really what it is and, you, and that's why you see them all, all these videos that we've been showing uh, the last couple weeks and tonight mm-hmm. these people that are completely unhinged they're insane. Um, Some of them like that. That one lady was rocking in front of the, the people praying in St. Patrick's. It was really scantily dressed. We shouldn't show yeah, that. That was home. Bad. Oh, uh, bad. That was bad. But and all the bla- that was hard to watch too. Is we had to preview of that and decide to try to edit it or something because the blasphemies that that woman spewed out, apart from the immodesty of her dress and everything and what she's doing, all these dolls, like, I'm killing the babies. It's great. Mm-hmm. And, and all of her mockery of our Lord and our religion. Um, and that's what has been unleashed by the thought that, oh because the devil wants the worship he wants that dulia being given to him and that service and if he's not going to get it then they're moving everyone to keep that in place and that's really what it comes down to is that so the, these dumb things oh he would be and incest um it, it, it obscures the argument it's like uh what about crimes of passion where somebody you know so you kill somebody because you found him in in, in bed with a spouse or uh, assaulting your daughter or something like that. So you shot him. Um, that's a crime of passion. So you get a lesser sentence. Should we make all sentences for murder, uh, you know, done and nothing because of this one crime of passion or and then, the, you know, they, they turn around with the worst ones. I don't know if you've seen this one, or the, the, at least if you ever view leftist Twitter, it's a, a strange uh uh, I almost feel like it took a magic mushroom or something when I head over there, but um, <laughs> it's really they truly they they have these examples like some crazy guy blows up a sperm bank and some of the sperm enters some wheelchair bound girl that just hit puberty or something like it. It's like, all right, there's the absurd example in argumentation is one thing, the yeah. impossible example mounts for absolutely nothing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's so. It's, but, we, we, we need
0: we need Mother Angelica on this one. Yes.
12: But this little guy deserves a life. He wasn't created by God to be medicine for somebody else. He wasn't. Or to do research. By putting something human from him in a pig. So that they'd have special milk. To cure something. Hypocrisy at its worst. I just want you to recognize it. I didn't mean to be depressing tonight. But sin is depressing, isn't it? Sin is depressing.
0: I want to take this opportunity now to sort of give the viewers an opportunity to dispense yourself of your children. If you are watching this show with your children, because we're moving into the groomer section and I never want any of your children to see any of this groomer stuff. Some of you say, why do you do the groomer stuff? Well, we have to know what the enemy is up to, but I'm going to show you the most shocking thing first, because this is a transition from abortion to, to, to groomers. Uh, I couldn't possibly edit out all the obscenities and blasphemies in this video. It's 39 seconds. These are the people that we are facing off with. These are supposedly our countrymen. Final warning, move the children. Five second warning before we literally look into the faces of the demons who are forming in the urban cores around this country and who want to take the life of your
5: child.
2: I Means your mom
0: stuck and killed her, upper and tried to get rid of you, but she failed. Uh, it goes on. That's a shortcut. This is what's happening in the United States of America. This is so-called free speech, and these are the proponents, Brother Martin, of uh, sacrificing children to Moloch. Can they be reasoned
10: with, yes or no? No. Um uh... As I said before, on a couple of rundowns a low, uh, ago, that uh, well, there's several philosophies that have, have that have influenced society, but that that's in one sense this is getting too deep for this subject with these with these insults. I mean, the the person that was on on, on the video last screaming, you know, about the co-hanger stuff, she's not thinking about philosophy. She's not she's not a you know she's not a philosopher. Um, but nonetheless, she's she's just feeding her own passions. She's doing whatever she wants. But in the sense that that's somewhat of a philosophy, Epicureanism, in the sense that uh, life is the purpose of life is simply to, to achieve as much pleasure as you want. And there are other philosophical systems, ethical systems, um, from John Stuart Mill. utilitarianism that says, okay, the most good, the most profitable um, consequences are, are what we should have as as, our, as what's good and what's evil. Um, almost straight straight out of the, the book of Genesis, you know, knowledge of good and evil. We can decide what's good and what's evil as opposed to God. Um, so it, it really is impossible to reason with them um, in the sense of, you know, Writing articles, having academic debates, that sense of reasoning—it's—it's it, useless. Um, it really re- requires a, a person-to-person encounter, and sharing, and sharing with these people uh, your experience in, in encountering Christ and, and why you've decided to follow Christ as opposed to following the path that they have, and the happiness that that uh, being a Christian really has given you and what you what, what you've experienced as opposed to uh, the life you had before and, in their own life. Because ultimately. Each human being has a conscience and we all know uh, that we have to do good and and, and avoid evil and the voice of God exists in every human being. And so what they have to do is repress that voice Um, But by our example and by our by our our words, um, by our our testimonies, we can help them uh, not ignore that voice even more as they have been. We can can help them uh, discover that voice again, hopefully. Mm. Um, by our conversations with them, and that, that's really our only hope. So it's it's more about uh, releasing them from um, just j- just muting the voice of their conscience, as opposed to giving them rational arguments to to, to conclude something.
0: See, I, I I sort of view it a little bit differently, Ryan, and and maybe you can uh, maybe you can weigh in and and be the tiebreaker. I don't know that any of these people can be converted. I'm not saying that that they can't, and I certainly would never say. Uh, that you would not try to convert these people, but the, the the demons who are satanists who are in the Moloch religion, in the Pachamama religion, these people, uh, for the good of society, have to be destroyed. Um, and I th- I think I've heard Father Ripper say this. I don't know if it, I don't know if I've heard him say it publicly or or privately. Sometimes I I I, I get it confused on on what he's actually said out there in the public. But when he talks about communists, you know, there's yes, there's an aspect of you have to try to convert them, Ryan. You have to try to, uh, you know, to, to bring them to Christ. But there also comes a point in time where you just have to annihilate them. And that's that's really the only option. What's the here?
8: It's it's a hard thing. But if we go back, um, why do you have the expulsion of the Jews from Spain or the Moriscos a little bit later? Right. So. You, it was basically because he said, well, these people are harmful to society. And of course, that view gets horribly, uh, you know, attacked in in historical circles. But if we look at the actual ground, the situation on the ground in Spain, uh, Enrique III, who was the king prior to Isabella, he had uh, he wanted to show how ecumenical he was, and it, to, to borrow that term. And he put Jews and Muslims in, in prominent places in the state. You had Jewish families throughout. The central parts of Spain down to um, uh, Granada that were, you know, controlled a lot of really, you know, bad stuff. And you had highwaymen, you know, populating things. And so Isabella was determined to restore order. So one of the things she did is turn them out and they were really upset about it. And there were even things where there was a priest who was a Jewish convert who said, well, he uh, hadn't said mass or he'd, he'd withheld his intention to mass for 20 years. Mm-hmm. and you have know, things like that so they said oh this is a real problem so the um you know you bring in the inquisition to examine people make sure you don't have anything like that going on because that that's a horrible sacrilege going on if that is and and that was the start of the you know when the inquisition gets in and obviously yes we debate the inquisition another day it's got its bad parts but it also has a lot of its glories too and in, a lot of it's really just legal procedure when you go through their documents but uh but then there was the the threat of uh, you know, the collusion of Jews with Muslims. And that was something they were very worried about because the Jews, of course, are in a block. They intermarry. They're all part of, uh, they're a separate people from the Spanish themselves, right? And that that was the big thing. So might they work to, to get their power back by bringing the Muslims back in? And that was a big fear of the state. And it was a reasonable fear because, you know, the, there, was, there were various evidences of it. So they said, all right, we're just going to lay it down. If you'll convert, abide by the laws of the state in the church, then you may stay. If not, uh, we're wearing, We're not going to force you. I mean, it's like a soft force, but it's not like, all right, we're just throw you in the church and baptize you right now. We're not going to force you. but you know, if you don't uh, do that, if you don't make that choice, out you go. Right, and
0: that was the hey, reason. I, you I, know, and don't I just want to hit
8: you with a good Lord split you.
0: And, and I just you, want to make one embellishment, though that 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 you've you've made, but I just want to draw it out. Queen Isabella had just completed this 700 year Mm. reconquista of the Iberian Peninsula. This was a 700 year struggle against the Moors to get them out and to reclaim Spain and make it Catholic Spain again. She had just achieved reunification. She had just uh, I mean, the Alhambra had just fallen. right? Uh, Right. So so the idea like it's fresh in her mind. It's fresh mm-hmm. in everybody's mind that if there is a group of people in your country that are colluding with your enemy that you just barely defeated and barely, you know, uh, have have expelled, that's a, that's a real thing. So sorry, go ahead. Yep, but it was true. Um, so that's you have that
8: so if you have a force in your country that is absolutely determined to destroy. Because here's the, here's the problem. If we go back to Cicero in or in um, De Republica right, any of those works, um, where where Cicero elaborates various things in political philosophy, you know, coming from natural law, and ultimately that, you know, the state is only truly a state if it applies natural law with reason, all right, and not with tyranny, and likewise the people are only a people if they have a common conception of natural law, the common characteristics of the people and the state, and that's when they are properly a populace, a people, right. And we are not as in the the entirety of the United States or even the citizens of generally speaking, I can't speak for every state, but generally in most states, we are not a people in that classical sense, in that Ciceronian sense, which borrows heavily from Aristotle. You see it in St. Thomas, et cetera, in in all of Catholic political theory. We're not a people. And we have people that do not acknowledge natural law and they're so attached to their passions And and of course, all the demonic stuff on on the other side that if they they need to be pushed out of the state one way or the other, if we're going to have survived, that really is what it's coming to because they're the ones who are right now threatening the violence. And they want to use the state to destroy us every little bit that they have done. And there's something I'm not a huge fan of Jordan Peterson, but he does this this uh, expression that he gave on Rogan, I think, you know, I push you back. And you say, no, 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 but, you know, I'm not willing to, to be pushed back this much. So I'm going to give you some pushback, but not total pushback. It's just you want to allow a little bit. Now I'm going to push you more and you're going to st- only take so much and I'm going to push you more and you're only going to take so much. And as it continues, by the end of it, I pushed you all the way back here where I meant to push you in the beginning. It just took a little longer. That's um, and like I said, I'm not a huge Peterson fan, but it's a good point that he makes because that's essentially what has been going on in the last culturally speaking in the last 60 years, 70 years. And so uh, financially speaking, probably last 120 years and and so on and so forth. And so there's a point where you have to stop and say, who is, what is the people? Is that the people of the state? Uh, You say, in my case, the state of Idaho or, you know, in your state or wherever, or is that the whole United States, Is, is it possible for us to be a people again? Right now, it's not. Right now, we need to look and prepare for the fact that they are going to be violent, They are going to try to kill us because they can't stand the fact that there will be a nuclear family, irrespective of what color that family happens to be. Even though they're going to scream white supremacy, it's black families. They hate them too. Um, Hispanics, they absolutely hate the family culture of Hispanics. Um, You know, these, because we're talking about white communist liberals that Mm -hmm. despise the nuclear family. They want, they, they subscribe to Lenin's glass of water theory and they are at least obsessed by temens because abortion is their sacrament that they have to defend yeah. at all costs. Yeah. So we are not a people. Uh, and then, so the consequent is in order to become one, they need to be pushed out uh, in one way or another, because otherwise they're going to kill us that they, they've already said it. I mean, they, they they've published. They're absolutely papers. clear it's about it. A Trump supporter, you know, it's like, and I'm not a Trump supporter, but because I'm conservative, I'll be lumped in with them and I'll be killed anyway.
0: No, but 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 this is how they're going to kill us. This is this is proof that they hate the family.
2: Okay, hold on. You love it, and you want it, and you picked it out, but you don't. But you don't want it for school. Can you tell me why? Because last time I wore a dress to school, everybody called me a girl. Oh. Well, what did we learn from my shadow is pink? Even when you wear a dress, you're not a girl. What makes a shirt for a boy or a girl? Nothing. So, do you want this? You picked it out. I do want it. You want to wear it all the time at home, but not at school, right?
5: Yeah. Tell me about that. I don't want to get made fun of, and that's what they always do when I wear pink stuff. I'm sorry. But baby. not when I do it only on special occasions.
2: What makes you like dresses so much?
5: I just like dresses. Hmm.
2: Do you think bright, pretty colors and dresses and sequins and jewels and golds, all the things that you always want to wear? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's your innermost you? Mm-hmm. It is. Well,
4: this may come as a surprise to you, but I rarely get misgendered by children, especially because when I'm out and about like in the world, I always have a mask on. So like you can't you would think I'm a lady, which makes me feel a lot better than being called a man. And so sometimes kids will say that because they see the long hair and even if a child did misgender me, I would not blame the child because they don't understand the ramifications of their actions. I would absolutely blame the parent. Why the fuck are you raising your child in a binary that's going
10: to oppress them and everybody else? Like, I don't, I don't understand, like, why we're clinging to these archaic ideas about gender and why we're perpetuating them and thrusting them upon kids. Like,
4: your kid will probably be some version of queer.
1: I'm a teacher in a very conservative state, and so sometimes students ask me, why do I have that pride flag? And to me, that's the most important part of my classroom. I'm not LGBTQ, I'm totally straight, married to a man, but I need my students to know that they are safe and they are loved here without making a big deal about it without having like a big conversation so by having just that teeny little flag at the front of my room i can communicate to them that i support them and that this is a safe place for them where they
0: you know you're a millennial when you question whether or not
4: it's ethical to bring children into this world
2: because
0: of climate change
2: we don't really know
1: whether or not the world's going to be habitable in 30 years
3: so why would i bring children into this world <laughs>
1: So I've had two abortions, nothing medical. I just find it incredibly morally unethical to bring another human being, another child into this late stage, capitalistic shit show that is causing the literal extinction of our species in our lifetime. This child that you want born so badly isn't going to live to see 30. And I need you to hear that. I need you to understand it. But enough about climate change. While
2: the rest of us sit back and watch the planet slowly die and i know we all feel helpless but there's one thing worth a try don't have a baby don't bring a new life in the world i know they're cute with their little hands and the way their fingers curl but don't have a baby resist that primal urge to breed because give it 10 or so more years and they won't be able to breathe
4: so because pronouns you know those are all the pronouns, but you used they for those two sentences. Why did you use they?
2: Because because how am I supposed to know if it was a they, them,
5: a he, or a she?
4: You didn't feel like the name was a clue? No, why not?
5: Because you always say nothing is a boy
2: thing and nothing is a girl thing.
4: Nothing is a boy thing and nothing is a girl thing? Yeah. Yeah. So how do I grade this paper?
6: I don't know. I should give it an A because it's what I taught. I that's what I taught you about being (laughs) non-binary. Yeah. While I'm playing Barbies with my daughters,
2: uh, I teach them pronouns. This one is a she and a her. Or I got her this um, gender-neutral doll for her birthday, and we decided that it's non-binary, and it's they or them. They're also learning that their boy Barbies can wear dresses because dresses are okay for men and And women.
0: Was the most appropriate reaction I can think of. I, I have I have the immediate urge to self-medicate when when I see these things. Um, I, I don't know what else to do, Brother Martin. I mean, it's like I, I could gouge my eyes out or these women's eyes out. These evil, wicked, despicable groomer moms who are doing
10: this to their own children. That's one of the interesting about that account, Liz of TikTok. Like some of us aren't on TikTok because of what TikTok is, but then they bring TikTok into places where you are. And we're like, what? <laughs> that's what we we're trying to avoid seeing, you know, washing out our eyes with alcohol, you know, it's like, <laughs> so we don't want to see any of this stuff. We, go, oh, we, we know it's there. We know it's everywhere. Uh, and that's why a lot of people take preemptive caution in, in, in protecting their, their children from experiencing all these things. Um, but I mean, replacing the, I mean, once upon a time we had Catholic schools that put crucifixes up at the, at the front of the room. And now you have these these people that think they're great and, and morally superior to everyone putting gay pride flags at the at the front of the room it's it's insane um teaching their kids to be i mean they're all i mean it's, it's grooming obviously they're teaching the kids what to do what to say in in regards to uh being non-binary or whatever else i mean it, it's it's it was what i found most interesting about that whole little spiel was, was in that dressing room where, where that young boy was was trying on a dress and the his mother obviously hates men whatever probably doesn't even have a husband was, was trying was trying to tell his uh or trying to tell her son that there was nothing objective about your body in the sense that there was there was nothing um it was, was it male or female nothing but the son understood that these bright colors and and his mother said this pointed this out to him the bright colors address all that kind of stuff was objectively something and objectively you whatever and he said yeah 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 and so there's this huge disconnect about, you know, some things can, can be, you can choose whatever you want. Other things are set in standard. Um, it, it's, it's completely, this is, this is, this is why it's hard to literally dialogue with these people or, or, or to, to, to be reasonable with these people because there's no principles. So even the principle of non-contradiction, it's not even there, you know, and that's an intellectual virtue. It's, it's, it's self-evident. It's there. And, but when you deny it, well, there's, there's no hope then to, to even begin a, con- a conversation. Yeah, uh, I, again,
0: this goes back to like the, those those demonesses, Ryan. That I think that the only uh, the only real recourse that we have is to eliminate them. We can we can deport them all. That's fine. Um, that's one way of annihilating them. But so far as that as, as far as they're gone, I mean, those are not my countrymen. They're just right. not. Um, and yeah, no, we don't, don't have shared
8: around. values in natural law. We don't have. Uh, I mean. The, the nature of way it's not absolutely necessary for a people uh to, to share the same religion civilly speaking it's not ideal but it can be made to work tolerating other religions beyond the state religion but um but there even then to be a people there's going to be shared values based on natural law that's what has to to happen and and they are in a completely different universe let alone religion um and, and so yeah there's they are not our countrymen And they don't want us to be their countrymen either. So it is, you know, a uh, a stalemate because, you know, they want to get rid of us. They want to kill us. I mean, remember Mm -hmm. there was at the Keynes uh, Film Festival. And when I say Trump supporter, they see everybody who's conservative as a Trump supporter, irrespective of whether you are or not. Uh, That's like the big Hitler boogeyman, you know, for them. So. It's, uh, you know, the Canes Film Festival, I think it was 2018 or 2019, had this this film where uh, they would let people with MAGA hats run through the woods and they would, shoot, all these anti-gun liberals would shoot them, uh, hunt them, and uh, like in a canned hunt. And that was a celebrated film at the Canes Film Festival. So, to, just to give you an a, example of where their heads are at, especially with this stuff, they really do think that they need to exterminate us in order to have a, a, a good society. So, unless we can come to some kind of agreement, it's like, all right, you guys stay out there, you know, across, you know, in the, this area, and we will inhabit this area. We're all just going to move to this area and be conservative, and you'll live in that area and be as, as wacky, woke as you want to be. And this is the wall or the line or whatever. And if you want to be woke, you're not going to come here. Unless we can get that going, it's going to devolve to a civil war at some point. It has to. And then, of course, the government's going to come in and preside over the violence and everything and then put in a uh, military state of some sort.
7: Yeah. Quick transition to the Grifter segment. The big news this week, right? The big news, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Twitter is out. Some people like it. I don't know. It's a kind of Some people like it. Some people don't. Elon said, everybody's worrying about nothing. Twitter is going to remain a place where something you brain farted when you were in junior high can haunt you for the rest of your life. So stop worrying. But he's going to make some changes that I I think are good. He said, first of all, going to get rid of bots. Right? That's a good thing. He said, we don't want any entity here that are not real people. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg said, why are you making this personal? and uh, did you see what Elon did? I thought this was pretty funny. He tweeted right after he bought it. He said, "And now I'm going to buy Coca-Cola, so I can so I can put the cocaine back in." Uh, which, okay, but well, uh, it's all fun and games until Hunter Biden gets his head <laughs> head stuck in the vending machine. That's. Uh... Money, 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 money. Money.
5: <laughs> okay,
0: Ryan, you're always up first. <laughs> Don't get your head stuck in a vending machine.
8: You're muted. That's right. I'm always up first, and I won't go as long as last time. So, uh, the book club for this month is uh, St. Pascal Bailon. His feast was on 17th May, and it was a really holy Franciscan. So, it's a really awesome saint you have never heard of. And so, if you are uh, not in the book club, either in the ebook side or on the hardcover side, um, you can join for just $10 a month and get the ebook. You get an EPUB format. And I do do reduced size PDFs for book club members only. Uh, and then uh, you uh, can get the hardcover at uh, $50 a month plus the shipping. And those go out to you. The next thing I have, uh, which I'm very pleased with uh, because of the fact that it is doing well. Good, it is up there. So let me just pull it up on the share screen if I can do that correctly um where are you there there we go is that showing up yes excellent so i've already sold through two full cases of it and i haven't even got them yet and uh, so i had to go order a whole bunch more so um those if i'm very lucky will be here the paperbacks uh for the new set Will be here on Friday. If you already ordered it, I should have those Tuesday or Wednesday and they'll start going out to you. Um and and if you order, you know, after today, I should have them by Friday, but at the very latest the Monday following. So not not this Monday, but the the Monday after. So it uh and if you order priority you'll have it before June starts. But even if you don't get it when June starts right away, it's easy to pick up with so Mart Abe Martin Barlieu he was a diocesan priest in Grenoble in the 19th century wrote the all these wonderful treatises of and I've been advertising them uh, the month of St. Joseph the month of Mary and now month of the sacred heart and so that uh, and it follows wonderful meditations with the examples and prayers for uh, you know e- each day of the month it uh, it has an appendix of prayers in the back and it has a method of following mass and I should talk about methods for following mass uh, as it used to be before they brought in the dialogue mass in like the twenties or thirties that at low mass um, you know, the faithful had books, not, not often missiles that covered every last aspect. Those didn't really come into play until the uh, the thirties. They got to be very ubiquitous before that you had some kind of missile, that had some prayers in it, but often people had little devotional books that had prayers to assist at various parts of the mass. And you would have your own prayer that you'd be offering in union with the priest's action at that mass. And so, so following that tradition in the back, there's a method with, for prayers in union with the sacred heart to follow whenever you go to mass. All right. So really, really handy thing, really lovely thing. Um, so, and, and of course I've got lots of other books at uh, mediatrixpress.com, and I'm adding eBooks. I don't have the, all the eBooks up and I'm still working on doing that. Those come in EPUB format. Uh, if you don't know how to open an EPUB, there's, free software that you can download with no difficulty that will read the EPUB for you. Um, so I do highly recommend uh, that if you, if you want to, if you want to save some money in the books and just get the ebook version. That's great. Otherwise um, I have, people are always asking me for pipe tobacco recommendations. <laughs> so uh, this one, let's see if this can get close. So Cornell and deal. Uh, it's kind of see if I can get it to focus. Right. Um. But anyway, so Cornell and Deal is a company after hours flake. And there's a nice warning. uh, This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is a very healthy and wonderful chemical for you. Um, Don't believe the government on that. (laughs) A night out wasn't complete without a trip to the private club for a Cuba Libre or two. Round Round out your evening or any other time of day with the Virginia flakes sweetened with the caramel and exotic spiced elixir of the island's dark rum. I don't like a whole lot of aromatics or things that are flavored, but the, the way they uh, infuse the essences in this, it, it's very pleasant. It's, it's a wonderful smoke. I really do enjoy that. And then there's, especially if you're a Tolkien fan, East Farthing. And this is from <laughs> Sutliff is the name of the company. Um, oh, we almost had it. There we go. East Farthing. This is a fairly inexpensive tin to find online. Um, it's a, even though it's a larger tin, it's only about an ounce and a half, but it's still very good. Um, what is even is, they don't even have a description in the back, but it's, it's a nice blend. It's trying to emulate various Tolkien inspired blends that, that used to be out there and the company uh, went out of business. So I recommend both of those. If you want to try those out, uh, in terms of pipe smoking, I make no money from the Cornell and deal or Sutliff or any other you know, pipe tobacco company that I'll show pipe tobacco from. So it's just really for the joy and love of it.
0: For the joy and love of pipe tobacco, I can get behind that uh pretty pretty easily. Although tonight I had a cigar, Ryan, which I, I don't always smoke a cigar on the rundown. There usually have my pipe. If
8: I can get good internet in uh at home or something, then I'll probably resume smoking. In your Taliban tel- you know, tent. Tonight, so. <laughs> With that? In your Taliban
0: tent. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You out there in your tent. Uh, Brother Martin, it's time for you to
10: grab. All right. So this past week, I don't know if all of you uh, caught wind of it or anything, but I think it was like on Tuesday uh, ish. Uh, Brother Martin and the East Saint Augustine made number one, number one on U.S. Top News. Uh, so we're very grateful and, and proud of that that fact. Um, I would lo- also like to uh, offer any church militant employees. If they're watching, uh, to offer them a free oblates of St. Augustine calendar, traditional Latin mass calendar with all the Augustinian saints, <laughs> and propers. Um, so just send me the shipping. I just go to our uh, webpage at www.oblatesandagustine.com. Slash contact us, send me the shipping address, and I'll get you a free oblates of St. Augustine calendar. Um, because obviously, I, I know y'all are watching. So, uh,
8: after that, Imagine the guy sporting that in his cubicle when uh, certain uh, executives go by oh, it would be great.
10: <laughs> so seriously, my my my—it's it's there. I have plenty of them. So you you, you well, can. It's have nice to.
0: of you to give them away for free because you know they all work for like seventeen thousand dollars a year with no benefits, and if no they prison. ask for a raise, then so the here's your benefit in the
10: office. Here's your benefit for working for Church Militant is a free Ovid St Augustine calendar. <laughs> um, and I might even throw a uh, brother Chewy mug in there. I would see how many I have left. So uh, after that, I, I do have to say that I did release a video this past week on the Oblivion St. Augustine uh, YouTube page. And typical, I me, mean, you know, our, our, our videos get like 500, 500 views. Like it's, it's a nothing channel, right? Then um, this one kind of blows up. I get contacted by a Catholic news agency about my video, uh, all this kind of stuff. So it, it, kind of, it kind of blew up in a way that I didn't expect. But I had to do it. Why? Because uh, when Bishop Johnson sent me this letter, he sent it carbon copied to a priest. And I don't know this priest. I don't trust this priest, um, obviously, because I don't know him. And so anything could have happened with a copy of that letter. And so it could have been leaked to a news agency, in which case, if that if that had been the case and it had gotten out, uh, my benefactors and supporters would be like, Brother Martin, why are you hiding all this information from us? And that's the last thing that I wanted is for people to, to think that I'm hiding something from them. No, from, from very one, from the from from the get-go of me being on the run, I was always saying, you know, the, how many unpopular opinions have I have I said that the future of religious life is irregular? How many times have I said that? You know, how many times have, have I, have I uh, tried to call the FSSP to account and the Institute of Christ the King to account of being faithful to the truth uh, and not backing down when, when even um, bishops come down and threatening them with sanctions. And so have, having been threatened in this way myself, who am I if, if I don't also rise up to the occasion? I mean, even in, in Nebraska, for instance, we have uh, a group of sisters who fled from Philadelphia back to Nebraska, back to their mother house, um, because they were, they were being their convent in, in Philadelphia. The traditional Latin mass was being taken away. And so rather than staying there and accepting the sanctions, they just went back to, to, to Nebraska. I mean, the women in the church, the nuns in the church are have, having great showing great courage. The men, in a sense, are, are, are kind of slacking in this area. And so I didn't want to hide anything from my benefactors. I didn't want to hide anything from my supporters. I don't want to be dishonest or or, or in any way, shape, or form not tell you the complete truth. And so that's why I recently, it wasn't for any sort of publicity stunt. Um, the things that Bishop Johnson might have wanted to remain private. I mean, I didn't expose his emails. I showed you guys my emails. I didn't show you guys his emails, even though they explicitly called me Brother Martin, even though I was telling him it was a de facto association which kind of contradicts other news sources that tell you that a de facto association can't be called brother Martin. Anyway. Um, I told you all, all you guys, all that stuff. I, I'm, I'm telling you literally everything that uh, a certain etiquette of privacy doesn't require or doesn't you know, allow me to, to share. I'm sharing you everything that in a sense I can. And, um, if ever I have to break some sort of privacy rule to share you guys for something that's important, obviously I'll, I'll pray about the dilemma. Um, but obviously, I, I, I'm i very thankful and grateful for all of our supporters and benefactors. And so obviously, we'll, uh, we'll consider that greatly. So that's that's why I, I released that video and shared with you guys. And obviously, my canonical arm, arguments were all from the new commissary of the Court of Canon Law. Canon lawyers with doctors in Canon Law have reached out to me saying that my arguments are valid and sound. Canon lawyers who have doctors in Canon Law have reached out to me saying my arguments are valid and sound. Um, no one has, as I've seen so far has, 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 ever contradicted any of those arguments. Um, they're just telling me that I'm wrong. Okay. Whatever. But argument, tell me why I'm wrong. Not just that I'm wrong, but why I'm wrong. So, um, and as far as, as far as the numbers are concerned, here, here's a dilemma. And I, and I, and I think I said this in the video, if I, if I didn't say this video, I'm saying this now, the reason why I don't want right now to, to expose the, the number of pe- the people in my community is because of this. When, when in, in November, when a certain media outlet started uh, going around and asking all my friends information about the community, they started asking the names of the people that were in the community. Now, imagine yourself a, a 20, 21, 22-year-old young man uh, discerning religious life and stepping into the community where there are articles on the internet uh, accusing them of financial fraud, like serious things, serious things. And this organization that's posting these articles wants to know the names of all those discerning this community that are are living with them, all this kind of stuff. They print them in those articles. These young men say, you know, religious life just isn't for me. You know, married life's for me. Fine. You know, mar- uh, marriage is a holy vocation. You know, go do that. That's got to go for your life. Go go do that. So they go on to the real world. They try to get a job to support their wife and their family, but their future employer, their possible employer, their potential employer, Google's their name just to see you know what's out there and sees them tied to this financial fraud, all this kind of stuff, this, this, this slander, these slanderous articles, and they don't hire them. And so they began to experience problems getting jobs. How, how is that possibly fair to anybody who would be discerning our community? It's not. And so the only, the only way for me to completely and totally 100% protect the privacy of anybody who would be possibly discerning our community is just simply not answer those questions. Just Just not. And, and it's for their fairness and, and for their good not necessarily for ours you know i'll take the hit you can call me a liar call me a liar all you want um slander my name don't don't even call me brother slander slander me all you want attack me all you want um you know i don't care if this is god, what god wants from me i'll persevere no ma- no matter how, how how hard people beat me down it, because this is what god wants if i'm if i'm truly convinced that this is what god for, wants for me i'm not quitting but in regards to number, that's what I said, told uh, CNA. They, they didn't really tell the, everything that I said to them. They just took like one or two quotes. Um, but I'll only say that since the beginning, I've never been alone. I've never been alone because a certain news organization says I'm the only one. I've never been alone. And so that's all I can say. And then on, I say that only to protect the privacy of those young men that are discerning uh, the religious life in the old days of St. Augustine and, 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 and don't want there to be any repercussions or, or, or reprisals later in life precisely because uh, people print things on the internet, even though they're slanderous, they won't take them down because they don't have to. No, There's no legal, there's no president that says, you know, you'll go to jail if you don't take them down. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do that is is, is to protect them. Um, and I'll take the hit. I don't care. Call me a liar, call me whatever, all you want. And that's that. So thank you guys all for supporting the Obelisk and Augustine. Um, thank you guys so much for, I mean, it's, it's been over uh, almost two years now that you guys have, you Uh, Supported us and and, and kept us in existence, even even without a bishop's approval. Because I think I've been clear about that before. This was a community; this is a nascent community, a new community. We're looking for all this kind of stuff. I've never, never, ever implied that that uh, you know we were an institute of pontifical right or anything like that. Um, But that we were looking and that we were hoping to survive as a true Latin community, and not going to compromise uh, our our traditionalism for acceptance. We were never going to do that. Never. And so I hope I've been absolutely completely clear about that, especially my unpopular opinions. Saying that the future of religious life is irregular. Here's a religious seeking to establish a new community. The future of religious life is irregular. So there's that. So I just want to reiterate my my uh, my like Griff one more time. If you're a CM employee, free Elizabeth St. Augustine calendar. Uh, Augustine.com slash contact us and and just give me a shipping address and you get your free calendar. So thank you.
5: Body, 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 body.
0: Okay, the only thing I want to grift this week is some of the uh, investigative work that I've been working on with respect to our good friends in Ferndale, uh, in particular Mike Voris. I did an entire podcast about the dark money that is swirling around Church Militant for 20 years. It starts with his relationship with a man that you see in the bottom left here named John Mola. John Mola and Mike Voris founded this thing called Concept Communications, LLC. When they lived together uh, in a house, they were both on the mortgage and they flipped the house back and forth to each other multiple times, refinancing it and um, doing all kinds of what appears to be, anyway, very shady financial transactions. The very first thing that they did is produce a thing called Double Trouble. And I just encourage you to check out my podcast about what Double Trouble could be and whether or not it is the true foundational stone of Church Militant, because this organization concept did a lot of name changes, and those name changes coincided with Mike Forrest reinventing himself so many times over the years. It eventually became Church Militant in 2015, but as soon as Dr. E. Michael Jones exposed it, they dissolved the evidence my question is what is double trouble how much money did you make and where did the assets of concept go i did another podcast called dark money where i show you the actual filings in the state of michigan with respect to michael voris and how that concept entity has changed over time he has told me in litigation that uh, concept doesn't exist and that there are no for-profit entities Uh, His attorney has not been very forthcoming, nor has she told the truth. So I expect that uh, over the course of this, since he decided to sue me, I'm going to find out a lot about him. And as a citizen reporter here, uh, Restoring the Faith Media, media being the key word in RTF, um, I guess it's my new mission to expose the truth. So my grip this week is to subscribe to Restoring the Faith YouTube channel, the main YouTube channel, and share those videos. It's very important that we all ask the questions about all the dark money swirling around Church Militant. They have never once denied the fact that at least $20 million has come in and out. It's been spent by these people. And I'm just asking, what do you have to show for it besides some hits on YouTube? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but for $20 million, I'm pretty sure I could get more than 600 unique visits to a website a year, uh, or a day, sorry, uh, to my website. Um, all right. Uh, there we're going to do unpopular opinions this week, but we're going to have to do it without James. It appears as though Ryan is off getting James's unpopular opinion. So he's going to read it for him. I was, I was kind of hoping that we were not going to have unpops this week because I didn't, I literally did not prepare one all week. The week just flew by. I've been uh, reading uh, 990 reports. I've been talking to all kinds of very interesting people around the country, setting up my trip to Michigan uh, and all the people I'm going to meet with in the next two weeks, uh, which will be very exciting. Some of whom are going to come on camera with me. Uh, so I'll make I'll make quite a use of uh, the fact that I'm getting deposed up there. Uh, but Ryan. Uh, we always start with you for the unpop. I guess we're going to do them, but I get to go last. So I guess I <laughs> you
8: got time to think about it. That's it. Okay. So uh, we, we had that clip in the intro about inflation. We didn't talk very much about inflation, which probably just as well. Um, but obviously inflation's happening. And so that means the value of your money is going down. So my unpopular opinion is we, you know, especially as the costs go up, Having lots of one dollar bills around, it just it, it's a nuisance, it's a frustration. Let us return. No, I'm sorry, I still have the uh last week's poll up. Sorry, um <clears throat> which of course brother Martin winning. Um, anyway, let us return to the two dollar bill.
3: <laughs>
8: and so here we have it. Uh Jefferson on the bill, too. It's the only way. Place he ended up showing up on, uh, actually, not bad artwork in terms of the engraving and everything. I'm not even sure two two dollars is worth you know printing that image. To be perfectly honest, but however that works, bring back the two dollar bill or do it like the euro coins. I, I you know I have got some some euros hanging around here somewhere. I should have got one out, but you know they have those coins. It'd be like a two euro piece, and it'll have a little faux gold bronze on the outside, and um, you know, and they look really nice and everything. Um, you know let's let's get away from you know having ones let's normalize the two dollar bill bring it back in fact uh this very two dollar bill i uh went to pay for something and the cashier would not take it because she was sure it was fake because she had never <laughs> seen or heard of one ever again ever before
0: yeah uh, she, she's probably a product of public school <laughs>
10: all right yeah, brother martin that that or uh, what do you call it generation z I remember them growing up every now and then you'd, you'd find one. You're like, oh, a $2 bill. Let's save it. Let's, not spend, let's save it. It was something worth saving, not spending. Um, I kind of joked with Mike earlier this week. I said, Mike, maybe we should change the unpopular opinion segment. Maybe we should get, delete that from the rundown and replace it with something else. And I said, maybe we should replace it with who could hold number one on the U.S. top news for the longest, like successive weeks, like the Billboard Top 100. <laughs> okay okay i'm glad you
0: brought this up i'm glad you brought this up because yes you may have popped to number one for like a, a five minutes or a whatever. Minute.
10: but i feel 15 like 15 minutes of fame 15 no, minutes no, of man, fame. You,
0: remember remember when they did like the casey Kasem top 40 countdown and it was like number one for seven oh, yeah. weeks running and stuff like i, I still really hold mean. the record at church militant i am the number <laughs> one news source the longest running i am the most important person in the united states according to church militant i for the longest time I'm the most dangerous man in Catholicism.
10: <laughs> <laughs> even worse than a uh, devout Catholic, Joe Biden. You know, it's like we'll, we'll see what happens to the actual president. I mean, I, as someone put it out on Twitter, is like Nancy Pelosi has been office and longer than I've been alive, and then I get a, bi- a letter from my bishop, you know, threatening sanction with me before she even gets hers, like. <laughs> 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 she, was, she was fighting for my abortion before I was fighting for the traditional faith, you know. She was like, "Oh my goodness. Oh, that's the reality." But okay, my unpopular opinion. Well, she's it's it's kind of in this world it's kind of it's kind of hard to find something unpopular because the the, the polarization is so extreme now. You know, it's like when you when you when you state an unpopular opinion, it's either popular with with the with the far the far right, you know, or uh it's just not not worthy of consideration. Uh, but I would, I would say this maybe, uh, and I'm thinking of something I'm on the spot, is that uh, obedience, let's talk about obedience, because people are, some people are saying, oh, you have to be obedient to your bishop, all that kind of stuff. Um, in my video, I think I succinctly pr- proved that every single canon that he cited was, was a misinterpretation of the canon. And I didn't use my words. I literally had this huge, massive book. Uh, just a second, let me grab it off my bookshelf. This massive book, the new commentary of canon canon law, and I just simply read from this thing. I didn't give you my personal interpretation of the canons because I'm no canon lawyer. I hold have, have no degree. I just this this book has a commentary from from canon lawyers, have doctorates in canon law. I, I did not assume any authority over over these canons. I just simply read from what those who have doctorates say about the canons that uh, my bishop cited, and I proved that. His anger or malicious his tone which was which was very very contrary to the tone that he had to me in his emails um, was malignant there, 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 were, there was something vindictive about it mm-hmm. um, and so when when you're asked to be obedient sure you, you can be be obedient when things don't don't um, have to sacrifice the traditional Catholic faith. Um, but that's precisely, precisely what I told you in my fundraising videos on the Internet is like this is to preserve the, the traditional Catholic faith, the traditional rel- religious life, not only for yourself, but also for your for your children and for future generations. And so in order to accomplish that mission, in order to accomplish that mission, uh, there, there's 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 a discernment that that needs to take place between whether someone's intent is to destroy you. Or because you're traditional. Destroying the traditional Catholic faith, traditional religious life, or, or something a legitimate prescription is, is what the new commentary code of canon law said regarding uh, canon 1371, which, which the bishop cited. Um, and so my unpopular opinion is, is simply all Catholics need a re-education about what obedience means. When a religious takes obedience, it's regarding to the constitutions of the religious community and the rule of life, the constitutions and the rule of life. So when your superior tells you to do something that's contrary to the constitutions, you say no, and you stand up. You say no, mm-hmm. you know. And when, when when he tells you to do something that's contrary to the real life, you look him in the eyes and say no, because that's every right. It's it's not disobedience telling your superiors, but a lot of Catholics simply th- think that obeying your superior and just doing whatever they want will simply get you to heaven. That's not the case. If your if your mm-hmm. superior tells you to have an abortion, that's not going to get you to heaven. That's not that's not going to get you to heaven. Um, and so every every single command we get from superiors, especially those who are who, who can be, who may be, I'm not saying that they are, but maybe, uh, compromise to, to, the, to the modernist religions and the New World order Catholicism, um, they need to be scrutinized. We need to check to see whether or not their intentions are in the right place, whether or not this is a, a legitimate prescription. If it's not a legitimate prescription um, if it's to trying to prohibit the, the traditional Catholic faith, then we just need to say, "Actually, Your Excellency, how about my private meeting that I asked about?" Simple as. How about my private meeting? Uh, that way we can talk things through, rather than just just blasting me with a letter. That's, that's just this just nonsense. So that's my unpopular opinion: is that the majority of Catholics don't understand what true obedience is. The majority of Catholics don't understand what the the majority of cat. I'll leave it. The majority of Catholics don't understand what the evangelical councils even are. They don't understand evil. They don't understand what poverty means. They don't understand what chastity means. They don't understand what obedience means and even what order they come in. And what's the highest one? Obedience, uh, chastity, and, and then poverty. And, of course, above all those three is charity. And so when you when when you have a, a letter that's completely charitable, its I mean, even than obedience, if, if something is, is so completely uncharitable, where, where does it come from then? So that's mm-hmm. my popular opinion.
0: Ryan, are you prepared to present James's unpopular opinion?
10: I
8: am. So this is what James has to say, uh, and I apologize. James's computer went down, and he's been trying to get up. Uh, camera wasn't working on the phone. It was one of they changed something to the matrix to to keep him out. Um, anyway, it's just the institutional racism of our, of our internet institutions trying to keep <laughs> the poor, poor black man down. Um, anyway, the vows say. Uh, Right before that. So his unpopular opinion is you don't have to fall in love to be married. And so he he says it's a bit of an apology for arranged marriage, but he says the vows say, do you promise X, Y, and Z, anticipating that it's going to be a lifelong commitment, which we have to agree to do. And sometimes people wait for the perfect spouse and they miss out on, you know. Judging on parenting skills or leadership and security, they instead judge how fast their hearts palpitate for one another's looks. Look to someone who can bring you to heaven first, and look to someone who can take care of you, and raise kids with love. Can come later. Saint Monica is an extreme example. Despite her sufferings with her husband, they managed to raise a saint, etc. So that's that's more or less uh, in a nutshell what James is getting across. So. Uh, right. to recap, you don't have to fall in love to be married. And there are many examples of the marriages that worked very well, uh, even if they couldn't be said to be wildly, madly in
0: love. My unpopular opinion this week is that spinsters are the most dangerous people in American society. What is a spinster? <laughs> An unmarried woman. What is the age of the unmarried woman and the definition of a spinster? Well, I don't think that many of you want to hear that. Because the old moral manuals define a spinster as an unmarried woman above, like the age of, let's say, twenty-five. Uh, single women are the single most dangerous thing to the United States of America. And I'm talking, and even divorces, uh, whatever, single moms, single anything, you're a, you're a spinster if you're if you're married that long. I think one of the one of the popular moral manuals actually recommends. That if you are a woman, and you are unmarried, and you are thirty years old, you are better off placing yourself under the obedience of a Protestant man than you are remaining in your spinster life, because a woman cannot lead herself to heaven. Being the victim of a single woman right now, I I, I happen to know how vindictive and rageful and and nasty and just downright ugly. It can be being on the business end of of someone like that. Uh, So my unpopular opinion is that we need to bring back the term spinster and uh, spinsters need to be eliminated. Uh, This parlays nicely into uh, James's unpopular opinion of arranged marriages. But even placing yourself under the obedience of a Protestant is better for your soul not and that doesn't mean you become a protestant that doesn't mean that you forsake the catholic faith that just means that in practical matters and day-to-day living you need to be told what to do and that and all women need to be told what to do that's just the nature of human beings so sorry get over it that's all i can say um this is a rundown parting thoughts gentlemen viva Cristo ray Okay, Vivom. Ryan, you're muted.
8: You can't top that. Vivo Cristore.
0: Alright. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to the new channel. Otherwise, we're gonna have to